Well, it's Friday night, and the four of us are here. We're all here, um, and we're extra safe in accordance with uh, Trader Joe's mandate, which we're going to be talking about. Additionally, Teddy McCarrick appeared before a court, and he was accosted by people. 20 years ago, we invaded Afghanistan, or at least members of al-Qaeda supposedly uh, crashed some airplanes into our building. 20 years ago. 9-11 was 20 years ago, guys. Uh, Tomorrow. So we're going to have to talk about that as well. France, uprising. New York City, uprising. And, um, well, we told you so. This is the rundown. Uh, You know, the looks like a tornado. They don't call them that anymore. That hit the crops and, and wetlands in middle of the country and in Iowa and Nevada and I mean it's just across the board and uh, you know um, uh, as I said we're in this together about why it's important to get vaccinated why these vaccines are safe why uh, they can still kill you even if you are under the age of 27 we need to be clear and direct about our messaging they can still kill you they can still kill you they can still kill you kill you kill you are the hospitals full of COVID patients? Um, the hospitals are pretty much full of people that have been vaccinated and returning to the hospital due to that vaccination. So so you're telling me there's a lot of people who got vaccinated that are in, in the hospital right now? Yep. Not just in St. Michael's, but all over the world. That's who's coming back to the hospital this time of year when the hospitals should be at their lowest for people that are vaccinated. A chief medical officer for the health here saying the, the, the ICU's emergency is being strained right now. Would you tell me, was that, is that a lie or is that true? That's a lie because I walk down there every day. In emergency? It's an emergency. It's, there's no overflow, no. There's no overflow of COVID-19 patients? No. How many nurses and doctors are planning to, uh, planning to walk out? Roughly, I'd say a little under 3,000. Would you stand up for the people here? Any day. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody to this virtual hearing of the Public Accountability Committee as part of its inquiry into the New South Wales government's management of the COVID-19 pandemic. Today, we'll be hearing from government witnesses, including the Honourable Brad Hazard, the Minister for Health and Medical Research, and Dr Kerry Chant, the Chief Health Officer. Members and witnesses must avoid speaking over each other so we can all be heard clearly. This is getting a bit ridiculous. You're holding us up here while we should be doing the work that we need to do. While you tell us... Minister, Minister... Um, I, I would ask that you, um, it is a WebEx hearing, it's very difficult, we have very limited time. And I, no, I would no, ask sorry, David, David, I, sorry, David, can I just say, Dr Chan is very tired, she works 18 hours a day. I mean, last night she rang me, I think, or I rang her at about 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock last night. We talked through the night, we talked first thing in the morning. You, you have an expectation. No, no, I appreciate it. I'm just trying, trying to work out what... Uh, what uh, excuse me, Dr Chan, it reminds you that... Uh, we have volunteered to come here. This, we don't acknowledge that you have the capacity to have us here. We've, we've come here to try and assist and we're going to give you the information you need. So, uh, thank you, Minister. Actually, I think the context is the useful. First, the first speaker said this wasn't in Minister, some sort of gotcha Minister, moment, All Minister, you're trying to do Minister, is carry on Minister, like so David, David, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We agreed to come for one hour and you're just asking questions which are just aimed at just having a go. Can you actually bring this? You're the chairperson well, and you should stick with what you agreed so Dr. Chan can get on with her work and stop 
carrying on like you're running for the Senate, for heaven's sake. So we know you're running for the Senate. Stop. Can we actually get on with what the arrangement was? The arrangement was we came voluntarily for one hour and you're wasting her time. Minister, um, I think that the committee has endeavoured to ensure this is a... a, 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 a an even an even tempered exchange of information. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? It just seems to me that. Excuse me, Minister. Can I just stop you there, um, Minister? We're not trying to catch you out. There's no trick here. We're specifically asking very um, important advice from uh, the public health officials and from Dr. Chant. I just, I'm trying to help. I, I just, I'd, I'd rather. Just I'd rather. I'd, I'd just spend more I'd time just... than it would have taken me to explain it, Penny. I'll go back to what I was saying on the. Well, no, June. Minister. I, I, I really. I have questions for Dr Chant that I'd like to get through um, and I would really like it if you would allow her to answer those, please. Well, um, I'll answer that. Um, you might and remember the question that was put to Dr Chant and if you would allow Dr Chant I to answer. Will answer. No, actually, I will answer the question that I'm now talking about, thank you. I mean, not, you're, not up to you to determine who's going to answer the questions. I'm the minister and I'll answer it. Minister, the context is useful. The question was directed to Dr. Chant. I appreciate the context, but I also, note, I also note the short amount of time we have today. So I, I appreciate the context, and I'd now invite Dr. Chant to answer the question. Um, as a colleague who is normally very careful in your words, can I say that you're putting words into Dr. Chant's mouth, and that's not at all fair. Minister, we're, our time's about to expire. Can I just ask one I'm, I'm sorry. Either I get to finish the answers or I'm not going to bother. Seriously. I, well, I've got to... Minister, no, Minister I've got to I, I just no. want to ask one question Courtney, before our time expires. I'm sorry. If you haven't been listening, that is not our issue. I'd just like to ask one question to Dr Chand before our time expires. Well, finish the answer to my question. And the question and, is out of order and wrong. So, again. So, could I perhaps clarify? A waste of time. Minister, I'm just going to ask one question to Dr. Chan. Well, I'm telling you, we take well, the advice. No, Minister, you, you cut me off midway through what I was asking. And Sorry, I appreciate. Sorry, if I did that, yeah, off you go. So, my so question. I don't know what the, the issue is here. It's just. If it's a beat up on the government, well, okay, we're here, but beat it up somewhere else, will you? Because Dr. Chan's really busy and I'm really busy. If you want to actually discuss the issues properly, we're here to do it. We came voluntarily. We didn't have to be here. Please just ask the questions. We'll give you the answers. David, it was, um, agreed, it was agreed that we would do it one hour. You've now had an hour and 15 minutes and we have to repair for other matters this afternoon. So well, Minister, again, I, the, the invitation was for an hour and a half. And, and, and Dr. Chan, I think there are no questions. I accepted for an hour. I accepted for an hour. Thank you. And again, I'd invite Dr Chant and the Minister to spend the next 17 minutes answering questions rather than having a procedural debate. Um, David, I appreciate Minister, it. Minister, I do appreciate it. I know it's hard. I know you're tired. I we all understand. You've had an hour and a quarter. That's it. I was told this was an inquiry, but now I'm seeing it's more than that. So I'm going to let Dr Chant answer those questions. Can I just, uh, Mr. Minister, I, I, sorry, Dr. Chan. We might just take up the minister's invitation. Minister, we'll take up your invitation. We'll take up your invitation and we'll get Dr. Chan to answer the substantive question. Let's stick to the substance and Dr. Chan. And I just remind the committee that Dr. Chan has a lot of work to do this afternoon and we voluntarily came here for one hour, now one hour and 10 minutes. So if we could finish after this question, I'd be very grateful so we can get on with doing the work that we do. So... Um, just to let you know, we... Um, no, 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 just let me just... I'll keep it short, but what you're missing is that Dr Chan gives a range of advice, and that's what Dr Chan has just explained, and I had to put it in the context, and you need the context, because clearly you don't understand. Yes, and, and Minister, if I, could, if I could just stop you that's, there... 
That we, we are very well acquainted. But you're as asking the question, and I have to be able to answer On the 23rd of June... Well, that I'm actually asking the, the question to Dr Chant. I'm asking the Again, question to Dr Minister, Chant. Minister and Ms Sharp. Can um, I just remind you... Minister, Mr. Minister, Mr. Could, I, Minister could I invite you? Could I invite, Minister, could I invite you, please? Could I invite you, please? If you insist upon continuing to answer, could you please complete your answer within 30 seconds? And then we will go to Dr. Chant. I do know that other members. Well, I um, think that was just a political statement by you, Mr. Shubridge. So thank you for that. Minister, I do know that other I'm members exactly have. Exactly what you've been doing. And that's the end of today's hearing. Thank you very much. Welcome, Mr. Well, that's disappointing. people watch this show why are you here <laughs> oh man good evening it's friday night uh we took a week off last week because it was a slow news week look at all the things we have to cover let's get right into it our top story tonight 20 year anniversary sets september 11th um i have a quick i just i have a quick thing that i want to show you I don't have it pulled up on my little buttons here, but where is my Ron Paul video? Hmm. <laughs> I got a quick Ron Paul video. You're going to like this one. Why don't you come out about the truth about 9-11? Because I, I can't handle the controversy. I have the I, I have the Federal Reserve to deal with. And I just didn't deal with Because, uh, no, I just have more, too many things on my plate. Uh, I'll give him a pass. So, so Ron Paul, to... Ron Paul is a, yes. is he gave the answer that I think we're going to have to give tonight if we want to stay on YouTube. We can't tell you the truth about nine eleven <laughs> because we can't stand the controversy. Am I right, Ryan? We could stand it, but uh, I don't think Google, brother Google, can. So, uh, I mean, there's so many angles to take upon the thing, but I think that really the most salient is to to look look back just a little bit in the the effects and the aftermath of 9/11 um also some very questionable goings on during 9/11 and then how that's become you know kind of the blueprint for the covid narrative and really it's the same thing happening all over again which is just a fuller expression of it so i mean in 9/11 you have from the government's own testimony the nist testimony says that even the official story does not explain how the towers collapsed. 
uh, NIST admitted that w- in its report that WTC7 uh, is an absolute mystery. They can't explain how it how it felt. Um, you know, but, but don't you trust the science? Multiple contradictory things in in everything that happened that day. What's that? Don't you trust the science, Ryan? <laughs> well, the the government's own people don't trust the science because uh, there's so many people that have it called you know legit scientists and engineers to say no, it actually doesn't work that way. And how many burning buildings have we seen where the steel infrastructure is perfectly intact? It doesn't collapse into its own footprint. I mean, all you have to do is look at a. Um, uh, I'm about to use a buzzword that that uh, GooTube is going to take off. If you look at a building being uh, deep sixed with TNT uh, <laughs> and how quickly it falls practically into its own footprint when they, they, they lay that all out correctly. And then you look at at least WTC7, if not the towers, and if they look to they're the, same, the same thing. Okay. Uh, they're the, it, it's like the exact same thing happened. So something happened. We don't know what happened. There's different theories. There's from you know from planned you know what and uh, other things. Um, however, it happened. It did not happen the way the government said. Someone knew. Does that mean the whole government was in it? Not necessarily. Does that mean Baby Bush was directing it? Uh, I'd have a hard time believing he had no knowledge of it or wasn't had somewhat involved. But we also can't prove that either. So it, it's we get down to something happened in nine eleven other than what was said. And like I mentioned last week, according to Donald Rumsfeld's own testimony to the nine eleven commission. The uh, order to attack Afghanistan was on Baby Bush's desk on September 4th, 2001. It just needed, you know, a, a nice public catalyst for it to get everyone behind it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's exactly what we got. Now, look at the paradigm that's set up from uh, from all those events. Uh, you have, you know, new security in the airports. You get the Patriot Act, which even Ron Paul voted for. Now, I will give Ron Paul a pass this much. He, he's in a room. The president of the United States is speaking. You're either with us or you're with the terrorists. You support this or you support terrorism. It's it's a tough moment. It's a tough call. You're like, you know, how am I going to deal? Kucinich was willing to take that on, but Ron yeah. Paul was not. Well, and I'm not going mean, to support Kucinich's, you know, that's essentially the same either, just on this, this issue. The same logic applies to the COVID-1984 agenda, too, Steve. You're either with us or you're against us. You either care about public health or you don't. You either trust the science or you don't. Um, I, so this is it's precisely the same narrative. I know you're setting it up uh, for, for exactly that argument, Ryan. But, I mean, Steve, assuming right. that you can safely Let's deliver the message. Taken. Listen, I believe everything the government tells me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, this right here. I mean, anthrax. Do you remember that? Yeah. This. <laughs> they told me the anthrax. I was pretty scared. I'm scared. They tell me the uh, the Rona was uh, only killed eight people last year, according to the CDC. I'm terrified. I don't know about y'all. I, you conspiracy theorists out there. I mean, what are you going to tell me next? That Nigeria just banned people from going into churches and using their bank account unless you have a passport on them? No, you guys are out of your minds. Steve, I'm concerned about you. I don't know if you're going to make it through the whole show, buddy. <laughs> I'm scared. I, the air is poisonous. I don't know. <laughs> the, the virus. What did, what, did, what did Jen Plasky say? There's a pandemic going on right now. Steve, I don't see a single Lysol wipe behind you. What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> I used them all. You used them all up. The virus is omnipresent, just like the terrorist threat used to be. Um, speaking of Afghanistan and our precipitous withdrawal therefrom, one Marine Lieutenant Colonel 
became famous last week when he released this video online. Good evening. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller, United States Marine Corps. I'm the current battalion commander for Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. I've been in the Marine Infantry for 17 years. I started my tour with Victor 1-8. It's the current unit that's doing perimeter security, dealing with the mess that's going on there. I, you can see open source reporting that there was an explosion and some people were killed. I know through my inside channels that one of those people that were killed was a, someone that I have a personal relationship with. won't go into more details because the families are still being notified. Not making this video because um, it's you know, potentially an emotional time, making it because I have a growing discontent and contempt for my perceived ineptitude at the foreign policy level, and I want to specifically ask some questions to some of my senior leaders. And I'll say, as a person that's not at 20 years, um, I feel like I have a lot to lose. If you play chess, you can only see two to three moves out because there's too many variables. I thought through if, if I post this video, what might happen to me, especially if the video picks up traction, if I have the courage to post it. But I think what you believe in can only be defined by what you're willing to risk. So if I'm willing to risk my current battalion commander seat, my retirement, my family's stability to say some of the things that I want to say, I think it gives me some moral high ground to demand the same honesty, integrity, accountability from my senior leaders. And so I want to start with, we'll just use the Marine Corps, my, we'll just stick with the Marine Corps. So in the current fallout of Afghanistan, a lot of Marines were posting on social media and in response to that, the Commandant published a letter, which is the service chief of the Marine Corps. And I want to read from it. It was dated 18 August, so only a week ago. And Commandant, sir, you wrote, some of you may be struggling with a simple question. Was it all worth it? We want you to know that your service is meaningful. Okay, so the video goes on. Uh, the, the good lieutenant colonel was relieved of command, which is a big deal in the military. Uh, it takes you about 18 years to uh, be given command. Uh, only one in five lieutenant colonels gets the honor, and even a smaller fraction of those guys end up making it to full bird colonel. So presumably this guy was on his way to full bird, and uh, he was relieved immediately, like that day, within hours of releasing that video, asking for accountability. He didn't call names. He didn't drop any curse words, or at least I don't think he did. He, he didn't make any specific accusations. He was asking for accountability for a war that we've been fighting now for two decades, just being precipitously ended, and now uh, billions of dollars of armaments falling into the hands of the Afghans. To the extent where, according to some accounts, the, Af uh, the Afghanistan is now the third largest military in the world behind the U.S. and then China, with all the U.S. tech and weapons that were sit uh, sitting there, uh, massive Air Force, I mean, helicopter, all, all the weapons, it's, it's incredible. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but, and, I, and I absolutely agree with this, um, with this officer here, but on the other hand, you know, wouldn't anyone who came out and spoke against their superiors in a public way get disciplined according, uh, uh, you know, according to the military code of justice or be thrown out, discharged, whatever, you know, for, for coming out the way he did? It's kind of uh, you can answer that better than I can. I mean, even though I think he's right, he, he's kind of breaking ranks, isn't he? Or, or is he fully in line with what the expectations are in the you know, for free speech in the military? Well, you could. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that. 
there are lieutenant colonels who did who did similar stunts. I'm thinking of the guy during the Trump administration who then what, he was the Ukrainian expert, so called. Um, oh, right. And he went on to testify before Congress, and he was he was part of the impeachment of Trump. Um, so it's it depends on the politics of the day. You know, when a Republican is in charge or conservative, so-called or whatever, um, then you can you can behave in a certain way. And if you're a lefty, then it's permissible. This guy obviously disagreed with the policy of a Democrat. And so he was he was canned. So unfortunately, it's not uniformly uh, applied across the board. And I think that double standard is something that a lot of people are kind of ticked off about. And in fact, it's to the point where this pilot here is telling us that some of the best trained pilots in the entire world are en masse walking off the job and leaving our fighter jets unflyable because of this mandate. So I'm wearing my upside down flag today and I think that's appropriate because it signifies an America that's in distress. And maybe some people don't know this, but my dad just let me know this. Um, a text message went out last night from the Secretary of Defense to all the active mil military personnel saying, you know, by 10 a.m. you have to go get the magic potion or you're going to be court-martialed. And so as a result of that, 12 F-22 pilots, the highly, most highly trained pilots in the world, walked off the job. That's 12 multi-billion dollar, million dollar aircraft grounded now. A dozen of the best pilots in the world, thousands of hours of training, millions of dollars of training, off the job. 16 crew members for B-52 bombers walked off the job. That's just two air bases. My aunt, who is a KC-135 boom operator that refuels planes, isn't getting the magic potion. She's going to walk off her job too, most likely. So now we're reached this point for all you dumbasses who have not been speaking out about this and the mandates, the people who are quiet about it, the people who are pro-mandate, you're to blame for the situation that we're in because we're going to a bad place. The military is being compromised at a rapid rate. And with the F-22s being grounded, you, you could kiss Taiwan goodbye. I, I would hate to be a Taiwanese citizen right now. So this is probably not covered anywhere in the media. I'm sure it's blocked or censored by all the bullshit that goes on here. But it's time to freaking wake up, people. You better start preparing because your little cushy American life isn't going to be... Okay, apparently he says some vulgarities and I don't want to necessarily broadcast that. But the point stands that there are some in the military... By the way, to fly a fighter jet, you're an officer. So there are officers, there are people with shiny ranks on their collars that are standing up and dissenting from this illegal mandate. Let's talk about the mandate. Biden came out. We told you so. We told you that this would happen. We told you that this would happen in October of 2020. We said there would be a vaccine mandate across the board. Some of the McBloggers went nuts and they started calling us names on the Twitter. I think I was called a hysterical conspiracy theorist, Brother Martin. I think, I, I think that's exactly what I was called by the retired former McBlogger in chief who's out eating McDonald's right now. Um, it's happening. All companies with a hundred people and above, that's a hundred million people, Brother Martin, are now going to have to choose between taking the serum or providing for their families. That's a tough choice. People have already been emailing me asking me how do they, how do they stand up in particular because um, I had some federal employees email me asking me, 
you know, what do they do? Do they give in now? I mean, because taking a pay cut is it's going to be going to be tough, et cetera, et cetera. Guys, it's now or never. It, it's it's the time we it's time we finally hold the line. The first century Christians were blamed for starting a fire by Emperor Nero, something that they didn't do, but that's what caused the, the, the big, massive persecution of the first century Christians. And of course, in the 21st century, we've experienced more martyrs than ever in, in all of the history uh, of the church. But now, like, I, like I've always been saying, you guys have heard me say on the rundown before, we've, we've not yet experienced what even the Christians have experienced in the 1920s and 30s. But the time is coming when, when, it's, when it's going to happen to us. It's going to happen to us. The question is, are we ready? Are we prepared? With, with all of these trials, with all of the temptations that come, especially right now when we have a lot of, a, lot of time to sit and think about the consequences of our decisions, whether we're going to take the jab or not, uh, this is time when the devil has the opportunity to work on us, to the, the little serpent to slip in and whisper in our ear that, yeah, we should just take it so that uh, you don't have to, you know, think about your children, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we need to hold our Christian pr- principles, and we need, need to know how to suffer with dignity. Uh, and to know that there's a prize waiting for us in heaven f- uh, for per- persevering in the truth. But how do we how do we receive these graces in the time of these temptations? With in times where there's more temptations, there's more grace. There's more grace being offered. The question is, are we all disposed? Are we all ready to receive this grace? Well, how do we know? How how do we prepare ourselves to receive this grace? Prayer. Listen, if all we're doing is is watching the rundown or other social media podcasts, all that kind of stuff. If all we are just going to mass on Sunday. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet. You know, my my word is not dogma. But I'm gonna bet you're not prepared simply because you're spending too much time in front of a screen, um, and and not enough time praying throughout the day. Obviously, you have your obligations and your state in life, and that is very important. That that also helps you prepare you to to receive grace. Um, but also, we we need to to spend the times that we that we would be spending, you know, doing Netflix and chill or whatever else, or or just just surfing YouTube or whatever else, um, and actually. Pray the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Pray an extra rosary. Uh, do do some other devotions. Pray. Make sure you're praying your 30 minutes of mental prayer every day. Read scripture, et cetera, et cetera. Prayer is what is going to prepare us for these moments. If you're fearing, feel, feeling a, a, a lot of fear in this moment, it's probably because you're not praying enough. Because if you know what the ultimate prize is, if you know that heaven is the reason why this life is, is given to us, and these situations are here to to try us. These moments are here to try us, to prove us, to prove who we are deep down inside that we're ready for heaven. That we uh, that that our Lord is giving us the grace to uh, to persevere through all of this. This is what it's for. This is a test, guys. We're here. It's, it's test time. It's exam time. Are you ready, Steve? It's just a mask, though. That's how it started. It's just a mask. In fact, I have a visual. I think this visual actually. Accurately de- de- uh, depicts where we are. It's just two weeks. It's just a mask. It's just six feet. It's just a vax. It's just a booster. The USA is here. Then it goes, it's just a passport. It's just an app. New York and California are here. It's just a tracker. Mm. It's just denial of medical care. Democrats are here. It's just a hotel. It's just a quarantine. <laughs> it's just a camp. Australia is here. It's just jail. It's just yeah. a firing squad. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's where we are, just right? Just death. <laughs> the, the people might not know Australia is actually promoting their little camps now, uh, dude. If yeah, if we think this is bad, what happened Thursday? What's that, my baby? You just ain't seen none yet. Um, this is just the start, um, which we keep saying. Again, Nigeria can't use your bank account. 
digital currency, social credit score, can't go into a church without the passport. And that's not the only nation. There's uh saw a couple and uh, have our clown planet last uh, on Wednesday for hump day. See the camel. Mike got the cat, I got a camel. And uh there's a couple places in Canada uh doing the same thing. Uh, there will be places in the United States. There's places in Europe doing it as well. Um, if you don't think it's gonna not going to get worse, uh, pass the hookah pipe because it's it's going to get much worse. The booster comes in 10 days. This is the 10th of September. The 20th is supposed to start that. Guess what happens when the the, the percentages go down when after the booster and then the fourth one and then the fifth one. Uh, you see what's going on in Israel? <laughs> See what's going on in Australia? That's, is, Australia is basically a test run for the social stuff. Israel's the test run for the jabs. That's all coming here, ladies and gents. And I mean, I know people joke when I keep saying divorce from D.C. You want to get out of Biden? You want to get out of Pelosi? You want to get out of Gramnesty? Sorry, I apologize for being a, a son of South Carolina for Lindsey Graham, but the people there are Idiots for putting in because they only vote for ours. You want uh, DeSantis to run for president of Florida or president of the United States? Because guess what happens when you go to D.C.? Ain't nothing going to happen. You should know that by now. You think the answer, like Jack and those guys that are posting on Twitter, is uh, fix D.C.? They're all jacked about Trump maybe running in 2024. You're beyond delusional. If you don't break this bad boy up and start focusing on your local areas, that's politically— it's the only way. And as Don Livingston says, you got to break it up and then you got to convert it. And that's exactly what needs to be done. But I don't know if anybody really wants the hardcore solutions. We like to complain. But his brother said, are you going to mass more? I still see people leaving out right after mass, going out and talking, hit, yakking it up. There's only a few people giving Thanksgivings afterwards. I know that's not all. I'm talking about where I'm at. Uh, drives me batty going, you, you see this takeover coming at a breakneck speed. We're in 538 days to plan the curve, by the way, for the 15 days. Uh, I got called a cultist today, which is hysterical. It was hysterical. Uh, you know, I've, I've been called many times, many things. That was the first time I heard that I was a cultist for thinking for myself. <laughs> you see the cultists don't do that, Jack. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I hate that we're right. Uh, I don't enjoy, we're not gloating. I don't enjoy any of this about the, uh, no, it's not about gloating. It's definitely not about gloating. I wish we were wrong. Ryan Grant, the question that I have and that I'm seeing in the live chat right now is why are we right in, in terms of why are they pushing the jab so hard? What's in it for them? What is this all about? Really? Why are we right? And I guess it's because we're not beholden to a specific political party, a specific candidate, orange or otherwise. We're not beholden to uh, this or that. We were simply Catholic lady with microphones that are just simply saying, huh, that's interesting. Now, with history, this is the kind of things that usually follow you when you do this. And, oh, look what they're setting up here. And, and we don't listen to the media and we don't watch TV. So, therefore, you know, we don't we're accustomed to questioning. 
and really, and we're not the only ones coming up with it. We're not the sages. Other people have been coming up with it too. And, and Stephen and and I'm really many people in the audience listen to a lot of the same people, whether it's Corbett yeah. or uh, Ryan Christian or you know some of these people, where you know we we again gather critically, same ideas, oh, and apply it to what's going and, on. And don't get me you wrong. Know, so don't get me wrong. There are a bunch of people that I, are. I'd on... rather be wrong. I, I don't like being right about this. I would rather be a conspiracy crank, crying wolf, and then this stuff never happened. But it is happening right in front of you. And still people don't believe. Last year, people told me there's a chat I used to be in. I'm not active in it anymore for obvious reasons because everyone else is at variance with me on these issues. Uh And so I said, you know, the the way that they're talking right now, once they were declaring, you know, for for masks and outlawing any alternative treatment, which I won't mention uh, lest we get the chop, um, you know, horse dewormer and so on and so forth. Right. once they did that, you knew the, the the jab, the death jab, the Trump jab was the only thing that would be allowed. That's the, the remedy you are going to have. And I said, there's going to be mandatory jabs before it's done. They're like, that'll never happen. That's ridiculous. They can't do that. That would even be illegal. Now the mandatory jabs are happening. And most right. of them are like, yeah, that's but, fine. But that, that, that's, that needs to happen. Look at all this. 600,000 people died. And don't get me wrong, right? Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not I'm not. I'm not happy that we're right either. And it's not about being right. It's not about being vindicated. But, and, and there are plenty of other Catholic commentators who are definitely on board with where we are now. You definitely, you know, look, you got Taylor, you got Pat Coffin, you got Michael Matt. All these people are awake now, as of right now, to everything that's happening that we have been talking about since September of 2020. My question, though, is really the heart of the question Okay, back to you, Ryan, very quickly, is what is it about the holy, unholy sacrifice of the jab itself? Everything pivots around the unholy sacrifice of the jab. Why? Why is that? Technocracy. And the short answer is technocracy. And as you look at the documentation, and Steve and I have been going through a lot of this documentation, and we can even put it up in the notes if you want to peruse it, where they think it's going. They being your Bill Gates, your World Economic Forum, your World Health Organization, your all these scientific think tanks, the pharmaceutical industries, the unholy alliance of government and big pharma, right? And put all those things together. What do they want? What they want is an at, what at least the people driving the government want is absolute control. You want a whole new system of government called technocracy, which basically is a, a communist style system of government where uh, engineers design it and you're given your UBI, your, which is a resource-based economy credits, and uh, that, that's all you get. And they, they're not – you can't save them. They, they expire, and if you run out, too bad, and so on and so forth, through which they'll control all human behavior toward whatever algorithm adjusted for what they want. Mm-hmm. The way you're going to get there – is if you upload an operating system into the human body, and we go through everything about mRNA and all these things, when you look at it, no, no, it's not a microchip they're putting in you. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But when you go through what mRNA is supposed to do and what it's supposed to enable down the road, right, because uh, it's not putting microchips in you, but the biofilm that is going to be created through it, through all these little proteins working around your body, you know, programming you to do certain things. It's laying the foundations 
for an operating system mm -hmm. that will work with your smartphone and with all the other things they want to control. I mean, read papers in Scientific American, in Nature, in all these places you're talking about. Will the human body be hackable? Will, you know, Elon Musk and his little brain chip making chimpanzees play Pong or something like that. Well, that, that's what they want you essentially doing. That's how you control a large population when you take away their rights. Yeah. Is that they, they, they don't have the, their bodily autonomy any, anymore. And just like I mentioned, somebody uh, posted a, a, something on Twitter the other day that, um, you know, the birth control pills that is now going to be free in, uh, in some, with some country in Europe. France. 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 Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? If it's free, you're the product. If it's free, it's only a matter of time before it's mandatory. Just like the jab was free. The jab was that's and exactly now it's right. Mandatory. That's exactly it, right. And so it was free. Nineteen ninety-five for taxpayers. Yeah, yeah. and Bill Gates, the Bill and Melinda Nation, have a patent on a uh, an, an IUD of sorts. Not an IUD. It's or this wrong thing. Um, yeah, or whatever. Some kind of contraceptive that gets implanted in the body and it's turned on and off by remote control. And uh, I think um, if anyone can access it from the outside, they can turn it off and you'll end up with a situation where government has your birth control on all the time until they decide you may have a baby. But all about it's all about control, Mike. I mean, it's just like we talked about the yep. uh, Nigeria. It's a key word. You can't go to the bank. You can't get money out yeah. if you don't have this thing. The, the Rona led to the needed. You needed the Rona to get to the jab, the jab to get to the. The digital passports. And then when you get the digital currency, oh, you can't have that paper money because they're on the record. If you watch anything by Catherine Alston Fish, she has video of the central bank guys saying, well, we can't have the dot, we can't have currency because you can't track paper money. There, there's the where it is right there. So if you get digital, they know exactly where it's going, who's it going, and they can stop it if you they want don't want you to. They're actually making cars. I put it, this was on Clown Plan two weeks ago, that are had the ability to be turned off after a few months. So like in Australia, uh, you see the guys that can't go five kilometers or so uh, outside their home. What about you can't, well, the car automatically shot, shuts off after five kilometers. Maybe your bank account doesn't work outside five kilometers. They, the, this, in this, if, if you can't see that, even DARPA, 60 minutes came up with that thing about the chip that can tell when you're have when you're going to have the rona and they said in 3 to 5 minutes this is on msn.com 60 doggone minutes it's right there you have to be a you have to be a, i don't know how you, i don't know how you say that going oh that's just nuts it's on 60 doggone minutes they can do this that was 8 months 6 to 8 months ago how better is it now Especially where it's going with all the passports, digital currency, digital this, everything's going digital. You look at any TV show, you know, commercial that's in, you know, the, the Alexis, mm -hmm. the Google stuff. Hey, Alexa, do this. Alexa, do the self driving cars. Uh, it's again, this is just the start. There used to be a phrase that they would say, and, uh, Older Bush used to say it, the New World Order. That phrase is making a comeback. Here it is. Will exposure sites be put back in place, especially with reopening and people going back to pubs and stuff? Because our exposure sites still, will they be put back in place to be listed once we are reopening? Because they're not at the moment. Um, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the New World Order. Uh, yes, it will be pubs and clubs and other things if we have a positive case there. Our response may be differently, different if we know that people are fully vaccinated. So we're working through a number of those 
um, issues, but we will have to reflect and learn. Did you see the, the new uh, world order? It's making a comeback, especially in Australia. Why is Australia so uh, vulnerable to statism? And even the clerics that I know from that godforsaken island are, love the government. They just love everything that the government does. It's just a mask. The bishops are better Catholics than you. Is that true, Brother Martin? No. <laughs> Doesn't take a genius to figure that one out. However, uh, actually, in college, I had a there was an exchange student from Australia that, that came to hang out with us. Or he, he was an exchange student at the college that I was in, and for some reason, he was he was assigned as a, as a roommate with uh, one guy that was my friend. He the, the guy that he was assigned with as a as a roommate was a very active participant in the Catholic campus ministry uh, at Vanderbilt University, and so he hung, this Australian student hung around us for a while, and I kind of asked him a little bit about the situation in Australia because being in Nashville, there's a Domin- the Nashville Dominican Sisters, and they had quite a bit of vocations from from Australia only because they had a house in Australia. So we asked him about Australia, and he was talking about this the, the religious sentiment in Australia and how they really just lived an authentic secular life. Like they never, ever questioned the existence of God. They just didn't care. They didn't hate God in the sense that Richard Dawkins hates God or Christopher Hitchens hates God. They just don't care. They just don't ask the questions. They just live as as if they were numb to the real questions that life presents to us. Um, so that might that, that that is always in the back of my mind whenever I read all these news stories from, from Australia and, and how bad they're doing precisely because uh, I mean the New World Order, I mean it, Look, regarding Freemasonry is it And I want to be clear, I'm not picking on Australia. There's nothing wrong with us. I love Australians, and I know that she's New Zealander, and I just lump them all together. I know that these distinctions mm-hmm. are important, but we're Americans. We're dumb Americans, okay, so we get a pass. <laughs> the point is is that I think as you, as you look at it, like this whole concept of you owe your bishop obedience in all things but sin. Do you owe obedience to this guy? That was Ted. That was Ted McCarrick. He was Mister Ted McCarrick. Mister McCarrick, because he's not a bishop. He's not a cardinal. He's not a priest. He's been totally laicized. Um, How many people are in cahoots with him that are still wearing the grinder miter? Though that's the question. I mean, and and we know that it's not an insignificant number. So um, it's just a mask. And they had a. If you saw that video with the uh, NWO lady. The uh, they were doing gymnastics and Jimmy Aiken does on his ten proofs. <laughs> so if he doesn't like something, these guys were saying, "Oh, well, New World Order in New Zealand means it's just the change of you know X, Y, and Z." Uh, yeah, you're getting a bunch of BS blown up here. You know what? It's continuously gaslighting here, there, everywhere. And the uh, premier in Australia. I mean, you just saw they 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 took guns out of grocery stores because. A quote-unquote terrorist came in and stabbed five or six people. And so because of that, every grocery store in this area in that area stopped selling knives. And they were thinking about doing it for you know a, quite a long time. They already have no guns. The only people with them, just like in basically Canada with what's-his-face, uh, Justin Trudeau, is the guy guarding Trudeau. 
the government has it. That's one thing that's the saving grace down in our area is if, you know, we got, like I said, the first redneck battalion down here and uh, people do carry. Uh, not saying to go out and do that, but, you know, the way things are going with Australia, um, I, I, I know they want violence. Everyone sees that. They, you look at Biden. You want they want violence. The whole thing with the uh, Homeland Security saying that anybody that disagrees with them, we're terrorists. We are the new terrorists. There's dogs. There's dog sniffers in Miami Airport for the Rona. Dog, freaking sense does this make? TSA's doubled the mask uh, uh, fines. It's the last thing this is is about health. They going after the. I don't want to say rhymes with hypermectin. Uh, you can't. You can't even use that. You see people going, "Oh, it's a horse drug." For somebody, that's why you spend. You can you can sniff out a COVID cultist immediately when someone says that. After it's a Nobel Peace Prize for being the safest drug in the history of the world, you have Oscar De La Hoya struggling to breathe, and Joe Rogan over here took <laughs> took this and is fine in twenty four hours. We're living on a clown planet. It's COVID clown world. Yeah. And it goes back to the beginning of the show we talked about with 9-11 and the whole paradigm being readjusted in, in, in fit now to to fit this one. So that in that in the former paradigm, you know, oh, we got to do all this, take away all your rights and, and under the Patriot Act. And we have to put all this security in at your airports and have uh, people feel you up and everything. Make sure you don't have weapons because, oh, heaven knows someone might have a, some dastardly terrorist might have a box knife and, you know, <laughs> Every time I hold a box knife, I feel like I got to hijack a plane, you know, because that's just how it works, right? Beside that, that's that that's how you um, it, it all gets brought in. Now we get to 2020 with the new COVID narrative. Now everybody is the terrorist because everyone's got this magic, dangerous, infectious agent inside that is going to strike at any moment, which basically revolves on the principle of you are responsible. For you know, a chain of infection that ends in grandma dying, basically. And wait a minute, that's the human condition for ten thousand years. You can't. You, no one is responsible for that, per se. Just going about and doing their business because everyone's part of some kind of chain. Uh, if you believe in germ theory, anyway, you have to. That's reality. You can't stop that. You can't stop it with masks. You can't stop it with jabs. You can't stop it. And certainly not with lockdowns, as we've seen. So it's like, but it doesn't matter. That's the new mer- the new narrative. And you are the new terrorist. So then doctors and nurses were the new soldiers, like soldiers like like you, Mike, and other veterans. New that, um, you know, were sent over, do your duty, and then spit back out. You, know, you got so many people, you look at the veteran suicides off the chart. Once they, they serve their purpose, don't need them anymore. And we just saw that in, the, in all the space of a year. Doctors and nurses are the greatest heroes ever. Now the nurses that won't get the, the, the jab, they're, they're evil. They're terrorists. They're horrible. They're you know, bad people. We need to lock them up. We need a, you know, good riddance. I hope they lose everything. That, that's what we're seeing now from hero to uh, uh, persona non grata in, in, in that short of a time. Well, it's funny. It's funny don't that you say that. Piece. There's, man, I wish I had this. Um, I wish I had this imagery. But Father Dave Nix, a friend of the Rundown and a friend of RTF, put out a tweet, and it was a cartoon. And the cartoon had somebody with a T-shirt on. It said "Anti-vax, anti-mask," and he's 
on a ventilator in a hotel room and there's somebody in a mask sitting next to him being like, I told you so. You should have listened to me. Um, I don't recall anywhere in the Gospels, Brother Martin, where it's a Christian virtue to snicker at someone who's on a ventilator fighting for his life. This is what happened, of course, to Cardinal Burke a couple weeks ago when he was in the same situation fighting for his life and liberal outlets, including Catholic outlets, were snickering and hoping that he would die because he, quote-unquote, brought it upon himself. Exactly. They prove that their motive is purely ideological and political and not Christian. Also, I would like to remind people that tolerance isn't a Christian virtue either. I mean, prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude, faith, hope, and charity are all Christian virtues. Tolerance is not listed as any of them. We choose to tolerate people only to bide time for their conversion uh, to the true faith, the one true faith that's, that, that guarantees eternal salvation. Um, but tolerance is, is also a liberal buzzword um, that people t- tend to use to gain the moral high ground. And that's also what, what happened in regarding Cardinal Burke is, yeah, there's a lot of people that, um, yeah, made fun of him. And they outed themselves as non-Christians, to be honest. So Back we're to seeing the, people starting to stand up around the world, and it's inspiring. And uh, one of those places that they're starting to stand up is in New York City. I saw this video, and I immediately thought of Steve Cunningham because he always says, think local, act local. So here's an example of somebody thinking locally in New York, doing the right thing, and trying to improve his local community in the face of these illegal mandates. Okay, so that's inspiring, right? I mean, that's a guy who's doing the right thing, Steve. He's he's going around to local small businesses saying, hey, will you stand with me? Will you post this sign-up? Are you going to oppose the, the, the jab mandate? Of course, this video came out before the federal jab mandate, but of course, most of the center of the country is pushing back on that. All the AGs at the state level uh, within the center of the country appear to be um, getting behind that idea. Think local, yeah, act New York. New York City, New York City, yes, New York City. Uh, they're having a bunch of rallies. Las Vegas has been having rallies. Tennessee, uh, south of Nashville. I was at one we had uh, tens of people at. Uh, there's more going into the minor league game than the one that uh, I was than the one I was at. Even though there was a bunch of other guys I didn't care much to much for. Yeah, man. I mean, <clears throat> what's going to happen? I, hopefully, they'll they'll double down and triple down and quadruple down on how bad it will get. 
And yes, I said that. I hope it gets worse from the feds. Again, I want this. I want it so bad that people want to split off from this thing. Again, it's the only solution politically to do. If you, the shining sun, the yeah, ten mile square, uh, the swamp that the Masonic Catholic gave to the federal government at that time, uh, needs to go back in the swamp that it came from. Uh, by the way, uh, we talk about the nine eleven uh, comparisons. Clear. You see that at airport. What was Clear doing for the past year? This time last year, we talked about it. If you go back to the rundown then, a year ago now, they were putting it at Seattle Seahawks, Super, the Superdome there. Well, not the Superdome, wherever, wherever the new stadium is named it, so that people can come in and check to see if they were clear to come into the game safely because yeah. of the road. Yeah. That's literally almost at every football stadium now. People are going, oh, yeah. It's great to see college football back. There's there's a lot of stadiums, one, that are forcing you to check before you come in. Two, most of these kids are basically being forced to take the jab. Most of the players are being forced. There's a lot of guys literally falling over from shocking heart heart problems. There's an NFL player that came out the other day saying, please go get your jab. The next day, he has some kind of rare blood issue that happened. Olympians dropping dead. High school kids. Driving. It happens yeah. every year, but not at the rate that this thing is going right now. As just to give a little shout out to uh, Ryan's uh, Athanasius Contra Moon Doom. If anybody wants the Catholics uh, on 9-11 thing, he has a tremendous one that really is the one that converted me out of uh, to see the light beginning. Because I stumbled on this website going, what is this all about? Let me check this out. And it was the first time I heard some... Uh, uh, rational arguments for the position before I found James and other guys like that. And as always, he links to everything underneath in the show notes section. So check it out on the Athanasius Contra Mundum channel. Yes, definitely check that out. And by the way, you mentioned that New York City is having other rallies. They are. something like this um speaking of france and uh it's just a mask here's somebody shopping without his passport look what happens to him
Okay, okay, I guess it is a woman. It's just so many people in Europe are like androgynites to me. I can't tell what they are. Uh, it's Look at how they're beating this woman, though, because she dared to go to a shopping mall without a passport. It's about your health. I'm doing it for your health. And how quickly they find her. I, and that's the thing. And so the next step... And Steve, you touched on this. Ryan, I know you're going to want to touch on this after this next video. I saw today that in Canada they're moving towards digital IDs. Digital IDs. Okay, fancy that. Can IDs be hacked now? Can they be created and then deleted? Can your ID be uh, denied to you if you uh, don't behave? Can your ID be withheld if you don't pay your taxes or if you're not a good little boy or if you don't wear your mask we're going from lockdowns to lockouts. And in fact, that's the exact verbiage that is being used in other parts of the world. From a situation where to protect the health system, we've got everybody locked down. We're going to move to a situation where to protect the health system, we're going to lock out people who are not vaccinated and can be. If you're making the choice not to get vaccinated, then you're making the wrong choice. You're making the wrong choice. And for safety's sake, and for the back to that point about how much work our nurses have to do, as this becomes absolutely a pandemic of the unvaccinated and we open everything up, it's not going to be safe for people who are not vaccinated to be roaming around the place spreading the virus. That's what they'll be, that's what they'll be doing. So there's every reason, every reason uh, to get vaccinated. And there are appointments available, and there'll be even more appointments available throughout September, October, November. Let's get to those... I can't. I can't watch that guy anymore. <laughs> I. I don't. I don't know where this ends. I don't think it ends well. But the dystopia that we're living through. If you would have told me eighteen months ago that in, within a short time span, within just a year and a half, the entire world would have changed. The cashless economy, the uh, centralization of power, of spying, the omnipresent threat of something, of of mass fear. Uh, the the, uh, the the race wars that we went through last summer, the, the heightened tension. Now the federal government telling you you have to wear a diaper on your face and you have to put a swab in your nose that you don't know where it came from. Uh, I, I don't think I would have believed you. I, I, I don't think that they would have been able to move that fast. We're moving at lightning speed now. The question, Ryan Grant, is which direction are we moving? Forget lightning speed. They've gone to plaid, if you get the reference. Um, but beside that, <laughs> yeah, where Somebody are we moving forward? Somebody's got to get that. Someone has to get that, exactly. <laughs> um, we're, yeah, we're moving. We've gone to plaid toward gulags, <laughs> toward concentration camps. Because the, the rhetoric, I mean, just watch Biden's little speech there uh, yesterday. And one, it's vicious. It's angry. That's what a dictator looks like, in case anyone's wondering. And what he's doing, what you're doing is you're setting up this class of people, which happens to be about 45 percent of the country, at least, if not more, that hasn't gotten a medical treatment that he and everyone else thinks they should be getting. Right. 
And they are now demonized and vilified, and now they're going to lose their livelihood. And you have well, these sycophants in the media. You got them in Hollywood. You got them in uh, you know all these different places cheering. You got the bots on Twitter and Fedbook. You know, say yeah, this is what has to happen. Is so many people died and whatever. Um, you know, and it's just like what happened last year. You saw it last year, where you know the people were protesting lockdowns. And the media, which kept their paychecks, and the politicians who kept their paychecks, demonized and vilified anyone, all these people losing their businesses and their livelihoods. How dare you protest what we're doing? It's for your health, even as you lose absolutely everything. So it's the same thing here. The end game with all this is getting to a, a society of a first-class citizen and a second or third-class citizen. So you've had your jab, you're, you're up on all your boosters, because you will have two to three boosters every year. Israel is already doing this. The Vax passport in Israel will expire after six months unless you have your boosters. So, and that's the exact same thing they're going to roll out here. It is not going to end if you just get one. It's not just a jab. It's going to be two to three a year or more. Mm -hmm. And of course, you have to look at that incestuous relationship between government and big pharmaceuticals. Who's making that money? Uh, who's paying for all this? Well, it's either going to be your insurance or it's coming out of your pocket or government programs will pay for it. And yeah, and who's getting paid? Cui bono, right? Go back yeah. to that, that line from Cicero. Well, on it's the big on the two to three a year thing, on the two to three a year thing, that's actually something that you and Steve were the first I th- that I know of to actually come out and say that 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 would be normalized. The city mm-hmm. of St. Louis, Missouri, heart of the country, they got the arches, you know, pathway to the west or gateway to the west. St. Louis, Missouri, huge, huge archdiocese. In fact, the archdiocese of St. Louis used to go all the way to California when we were settling this uh, continent. In that city now, you are considered unvaccinated if you have not had a booster shot within 90 days. So, in fact, every 90 days you have to have a booster for the city of St. Louis to consider you fully vaccinated. Brother Martin, you come at me with a needle, I consider that an act of violence, violence against my (laughs) body. And I believe that I can respond in at least proportionate levels of force. What say you? I think I said this uh, a few weeks ago on the rundown, about a month ago. Yeah, you have the right to use proportionate force. A needle's a needle. I mean, whether you stick it in an arm or you stick it in someone's neck, I mean, it's an act of violence. You don't know where this person's going to stick it in you. Not only that, but because it's an experimental jab or whatever, experimental medicine, you don't know the consequences. It doesn't matter if, if that, that jab or whatever's in that jab you know, can kill you within 30 seconds or 30 days. It can kill you regardless. Um so, yeah, it is an act of violence, and you have the right to, to act with proportionate force. Not only that, um, but again, if, if, some, if some Catholic is telling you that you have an obligation to receive this jab as if it were an act of charity, point blank, they're apostates. I don't care anymore about the, the long-form argument with the article, debating article, debating article, debating enough – Flat out, they're apostates. This is this is the confusion, the diabolical confusion that the devil has used to separate the sheep from the goats, so that he can eradicate, he can keep his his goats, and, and kill all of the sheep. This is precisely uh, the divider between those who are willing to to go to the cross, to die for the truth, versus those who are willing to live their lives and lives in absolute comfort and security. There, there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it anymore. The lines are clear. Everything is clear. Those who continue to to argue for the to receive the jab, it's illogical. 
Steve Cunningham, first shot, bird shot, second shot, buck shot. And then buckshot, <laughs> buckshot, buckshot, baby. My body, my choice, until it's not my body, my choice. The same people yelled, my body, my choice, is upset about people saying, my body, my choice. It's only my body, my choice if you can, baby. It's not your body, <laughs> my choice, we want to put experimental injections in you. Uh, but on, on the one topic about the, the digital ID, Apple uh, put this in the last two Clown Planets. You have the link, the video's right there. Apple's come out saying they are reaching agreement. They're going to start digital IDs. Guess what's coming after that, baby? <laughs> Back to Mike. <laughs> I love it. Well, in digital IDs, actually, there's something to be said there, too. That's another project of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which goes back, uh, I don't know, a couple of years where they've been mostly working in India in order to um, you know, create you know, some real way to know who somebody is. So cradle the grave, they have this ID that follows them. And you can see how easily it'll link to a social credit score and how it'll link to your CBDC, your central bank digital currency. And I, I liken it all actually to... Um, an episode of the Orville. Now, if you never saw the Orville, well, I can't really recommend it, but it, it got smart at a certain point, but it has a lot of off color humor at different points as well. But they, they landed on this planet that was earth like and everyone had cell phones. It was a pure democracy and you're standing on the planet. Basically you had a social credit score and everyone had these little buttons here, a down vote and an up vote. And so if you liked what somebody did, you gave them an upvote. And if you hated that what they did, you gave them a downvote. Once you hit a certain number of downvotes, I forget what it was, you would have to do an apology tour in order to convince everyone you're not such a bad guy. And if you failed to convince people, which usually you did, then in the end you got lobotomized, right? And that's so it becomes this pure democracy based on a social credit score, where everything you do tra you know, tracks with you for life. And if you go against the norm, what people think should be the norm, even though you haven't broken any laws, the, you know, you're know you going to get downvoted and people get downvoted you on the phones as they watch you and you do this and uh, there's, there's no facts. The facts are determined by the cloud, essentially, what people think. It's like Reddit. And it's, like you it's get a, a satire. It's like you... Yeah, you're right. It's like Reddit. It's a satire, but it, 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 it's, it's too literal of one to really function as a satire. It's really real life in a lot of respects. Um, Brother Martin, I want to ask you a quick question about religious exemptions and then I'm going to do a shameless profit break while the three of you load up on uh, whatever you need to load up on so we can get <laughs> to the really juicy stuff. We're going to be talking about the communique with the Ecclesia Day communities in Rome. We're going to be talking about Pope Francis' interview on Traditionis Custodis. But you get the word here before the break. Okay, so I used to live in Florida and there was a particular diocese in Florida that sued the state of a contest in Florida for using the term Catholic for their parishes. They took it to the U.S. courts, et cetera, et cetera. And the diocese actually lost against the state of a contest in court, in the U.S. court, because the U.S. court declared that the, term, the, the word Catholic refers to a creed, not so much as an institution. So when you're applying for religious exemptions, for instance— Technically, it doesn't really matter what the USCCB is saying. Your faith is your faith. Your creed is your creed. And if you have a priest sign an exemption letter that uses legitimate Catholic author uh, authoritative sources to prove its claim, 
you're good to go. Even, for instance, let's say that if you were a systematic Catholic, for instance, you, you believe the traditional Catholic faith, but you, you, you disbelieve that the, the legitimate uh, authorities are legitimate authorities, like a state of a contest, for instance. Um, although you call yourself Catholic, I mean, the United States accepts so many different religions. You don't have to be a, a worldwide religion to, to go to your pastor or whatever else and claim a religious exemption. Your religion is religion. For, for Pete's sake, you could be your own unique religion, sign your own paper, and give it to the U.S. US government and say, this is my religious exemption. It's, it's that simple regarding to U.S. law. However, if you're in Australia, if you're in England, it depends on your own, your own law. But a religious exemption is your own. Technically, it's your own personal belief. It doesn't. It doesn't require that you be like a a, a legitimate accepted institution. Is, um, that, not, is, is this the only positive about the American religious liberty? <laughs> it really is. It really is right now because you could literally have any of your papers, and that's fine. You could have your. I mean, for I don't. You could have. You could sign your own papers. Speaking of papers. I got these papers here, and they are bound. This book, it's called The Saint Maker. And The Saint Maker is a brand new partnership with Restoring the Faith. And I have to tell you, when I first received my copy of The Saint Maker, I didn't know what I was expecting. I checked out the website. Nathan reached out and said, hey, do you want to do The Saint Maker? I said, okay, maybe. I, I, I want to support a Catholic company. So, you know, I'm interested in looking at it. He sent me my Saint Maker. It is very professionally made. Strong, thick pages. I like thick pages. Uh, you get one every quarter. I'm holding mine right now, and after this video with the cool music plays, uh, I'll show it to you. But I can actually plan out when we're going to do the rundown to the hour. Uh, I, I show appointments in here. I show, I've got my daily cross, my daily devotions, my to-dos, my tasks, my issue tracker. What's my issue? What is my action needed? Random notes. Um, it, it tracks the offices of the day. It gives you suggested times to do them. Prime, terse, sex, non, vespers, compline, matins. All on one page. It's pretty cool. Um, you do a goal review on the right side. You, you, uh, it actually helps you do an examination of conscience. It reminds you about your act of contrition every day. You can go to saintmaker.com, the saintmaker.com. I have a link in the show notes. But I really think you should check this out because, like, for example, I have a lot going on in my life. I have been moving. I'm working on a long-term project. I'm in my last couple weeks up here in Buffalo, New York. And um, I just have a lot of moving parts. Uh, seven human beings that I'm responsible for, um, plus the hundreds that I sign their paychecks. Uh, as a result of all of that, I need something like the Saint Maker. And look at this. It's red for the summer. But my guess, my guess is that the, that the uh, next color is going to correspond more closely with what the winter is going to be. Check out the link. If you can, really appreciate it. Okay, um, I hope you guys have your libations because the truth is is that we need to get to the important stories tonight, and there are three of them. The first is that as soon as you legalize abortion in a country like Mexico, 
This is what happens to you. María, llena eres de gracia, el Señor es contigo. Bendita tú eres entre todas las mujeres. Bendito es el fruto de tu vientre, Jesús. ¿Dónde están? ¿Dónde están? So the vast majority of Mexico is pro-life. The vast majority of Mexican states uh, have pro-life laws, but unelected judges, robed jurists, just like in this country, rule from the bench, and suddenly Mexico uh, is anti-life, and God's vengeance was immediate, swift, and measurable. Is that the story? Pretty much. A lot of people don't really know the, the history of Mexico. Uh, Mexico separated from Spain precisely because Spain was was modernizing, uh, was going towards republic, was going towards uh, the liberalism of the day. Um, Mexico created its revolution precisely to separate itself from that and to keep, it, to keep its Catholic roots. Not so much soon after that did uh, the general Santa Rosa, Santa Ana, um, create a revolution to, to kick the, the monarchy out and to create a new republic. Um, we all, I think within our U.S. history classes, even have studied um, and have learned the name of Benito Juarez, who was a Freemason uh, who, who fought for liberalism in, in, in the country. Um, and so that's kind of the, the brief history of, of, of Mexico in the sense that uh, the people itself, the peasants, the poor, have kept the Catholic faith alive in Mexico, while the government um, has always been anti-Catholic. And so for me, having Mexican roots, both my parents come from Mexico. They were born in Mexico. I was born in the United States, but they were born in Mexico. Um, the the people have kept the Catholic faith alive. They've kept they've they've kept um, the mixture of Catholicism in their culture, the, Sp- the Spanish culture, the indigenous culture together. Together, however, um, the government itself is very very anti-Catholic. Um, so it's it's really not surprising to to hear something like this, um, and even more gratifying to know that our Lord would respond to Mexico. That would love Mexico so much as to as to as to create this earthquake, as to, as to warn Mexico, to warn the government that you know God is not pleased. Because when the same thing happened in the United States, there were no earthquakes. I mean, I remember one, one FSSP priest mentioning in a sermon, it's like, we all think that God loves the United States of America. How, has there been an apparition in the United States like the apparition of Our Lady Guadalupe or Our Lady of Lourdes? There, there has been at least one approved Marian apparition up in Wisconsin. Um, however, you know, when, when America falls, nothing... God doesn't really respond. It's like if he doesn't really care um, so much about the United States of, of America. But Mexico, as soon as Mexico does something bad, boom. Um, but we need to pray for Mexico. We need to pray that our United States of America be, can become, can have a Catholic culture like Mexico does. Yeah. Um, and at least the peasants uh, really, truly believe the faith. There, there is there's only one queen of the Americas. There's only one queen of the Amazon, and it's Our Lady of Guadalupe. It is not the Pachamama. Pachamama is not your mama. Um, all right, guys, here we go. Into here we go. We're gonna rumble now. This is the uh, oh. this is the two important stories. First, the Pope gets interviewed about t- 
Tradiciones Custodes. I saw today a quote. I don't know if this is actually true, Ryan, but I saw that today the quote is, he said, everyone needs to accept Vatican II. Basta! Now! Seems like time is of the essence from his point of view. It's kind of weird. Well, we mentioned, I think, in a previous broadcast, rumors that are circulating around that seem to have the appearance of truth that that the Holy Father might actually have a serious cancer and might actually be dying. And so the the, the need all of a sudden, you know, because his policy throughout his pontificate has been, yeah, we're just going to ignore the traditional mess. We're just going to leave that alone. And uh, and now all of a sudden it's like, quick, we got to do something about this. And the the fact that it moves so quick, it, it shows where the priorities are, what it is that they really hate. They don't seem to hate heresy very much. James Martin, totally fine. Pope even writes him a letter of encouragement, as well as makes him part of his communication staff. Yeah, that's not a big deal. German synodal path. Oh, you Germans, you're so bad. We're going to imitate everything you're doing right now with a new synod on synodality, which is like, uh, it reminds me of a Dilbert cartoon where he tells the pointy-haired boss that you can't go into a meeting without a pre-meeting about what the meeting's going to be about. So you're having a meeting about a meeting. And that's what this synod of synodality seems to be to me is uh, basically, you know, more endless talking, pointless nonsense where you can rubber stamp in the name of everybody what bureaucrats have already decided, as we saw has happened in the previous synods and becomes like Michael Davies said, the talking church. So I think that uh, Pope Francis very clearly wants to accomplish a lot more to, well, in my opinion, wrecked the church, frankly, to make it uh, you know, even harder as he sees. He seems to have this idea that he can make things that are just irre- irrevocable. It's done once once he's done it. And uh, as we've as he has just shown himself with uh, jailers of the tradition, that's not necessarily so. What one pope does, another pope can undo. And even though they don't generally like to do that mm. to each other. Um. I don't feel very dialogued with Steve Cunningham. I don't feel like we have an open communication. I don't I don't feel uh that Francis the Merciful is really looking out for me. Uh I don't share that feeling or is, is, is it just me? I this I have no idea. I didn't keep up with this at all this week. <laughs> uh, I like I said, I've always tried to stay out of the church politics because I can't control that side of praying for the Holy Father and the bishops, etc. Uh, like I put out a tweet the other day when everyone was talking about it. I go, Yeah, in the last two days, I put together 15 videos, 30 minutes of history of Texas, and other things. So, yeah, I didn't keep up with it. Nothing's changed here. Uh, hopefully, the Holy Father, I'm here for a holy death, and that we merit a good pope later, which I don't think we have, because if you look at what most of us do is we either leave Mass, uh, don't give a good Thanksgiving, they're not busting the doors of adoration, devotions like that one is not getting promoted. Where is it over here? Uh, Much. uh, I don't see too many of us coming out going, hey, let's get together with a men's prayer group at night. We got men's complaint group. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> come watch, come watch the complaint group for not us. Well, I'm not talking about us. We're complaining. We're giving out some info, but yeah. I don't never see us complaining or anything like that. But like others, but you know, sex sells. People likes talking about drama. Uh, I could give. I don't care. I I go out and play with the kids. I didn't. I didn't look at one thing that the Pope 
was written about or said or the interview, etc. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Brother Martin, when I read the headlines, though, and, and when I read the quote and it says they must accept the teachings of Vatican II, uh, which teachings were those? I'm not sure how many anathemized statements we're talking about. I'm not sure how many errors <laughs> were condemned. I'm not sure how many teachings were put forward. I, know, I don't know how many, uh, how many things I'm supposed to accept from it. Well, exactly. Pope Benedict XVI spoke of a reform of the reform. He also spoke of a hermeneutic of continuity. Pope Francis has said publicly that reform, anybody who thinks the reform of the reform is, is, a, is a correct interpretation is wrong. Not only that, but he obviously, through his explanatory letter of Tradizione Custodia, says that the uh, hermeneutic of continuity also is wrong. And so which pope do you believe? Which teaching do you believe? Does it, I mean, in, in one era, in one decade, do we believe this about Catholic truth? And in the next decade, do we believe the exact opposite, contradictory? It, it, it depletes the whole idea of Catholicism, of, of the same truth persisting for always and forever. Um, the, same, the same and forever. However, there's a little story, a little, a little note that I need to add right, regarding all of this nonsense. Because I, I, I used to belong to a community called the Apostles of the Interior Life. There's a, the male branch is now suppressed because whatever. And, and the female branch is still existing. However, when the Synod on the Youth was going on, when the Synod of the Youth was going on, two of the female members of the Apostles of the Interior Life were meeting with Pope Francis, etc., or part of the, a, a community of youth that were responsible for going on the Internet and going on Facebook, creating the, the group chats to hear from the youth from across the world, uh, their opinions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, so I knew some of them. Um, and so a lot of people in these, in these Facebook group chats were, were talking about uh, traditional Catholicism, traditional Latin Mass, et cetera, et cetera, and, and explaining the beauty how, how how the youth really need the traditional Latin Mass. Uh, and one in one private message, one of the girls that I know responded to one uh, traditional Latin Mass uh, youth. I'm sorry, those aren't the responses that that we were looking for, et cetera, et cetera. So, absolutely, the Vatican is is filtering out certain ideas, certain concepts. This is this is not conspiracy theory. This is not a lie. The Vatican is absolutely against tradition. The Pope is absolutely, absolutely against tradition. Why? Because it's his boss. It's his boss. The Pope cannot contradict tradition. He cannot contradict tradition. He cannot abrogate tradition. When he does, he becomes an anti-Pope. He becomes an antichrist. This is not insane, Steve. It's not insane. It's a truth. Pope <laughs> no. cannot contradict tradition. No, he wasn't saying you're insane. He was saying the close-up was insane. It was an extreme close-up. Yes. Oh. <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm no, no. serious. It was like Wayne's World. If anybody seen Wayne's World, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was a tight shot. But, uh, and, I was actually looking and, up and his nose for a minute. Too. I was going to say, he doesn't have the Rona. It was for dramatic <laughs> effect, though. And I think that the I think Brother Martin landed the punch because yeah. – the, the the unchangeable truths of the magisterium of the Catholic Church, the Pope is bound by those truths, Ryan, right? I mean, he doesn't have the authority to say up is down, is down is up. Uh, and I think a lot of Catholics just say, well, I'm Catholic if I just obey what the man in white says. He says to get the jab, I get the jab. That's what he says to do. And I'm Catholic and I'm not allowed to oppose him. It's a very, very simplistic and wrong view of, of Catholicism. Vatican I laid down the limits of, say, for example, the development of doctrine. 
Right. And so there's there's a notion in which that's true and a notion within within which that's false. One, I mean, the development of doctrine properly understood the way, largely the way Cardinal Newman lays it out, although he doesn't have it absolutely perfect because it was during his Anglican period when he wrote the book. But, you know, where basically is that these truths follow from other truths revealed by faith. And so those truths get examined. And so and that's the nature of the development of doctrine is that as things that are, are defined as having been revealed, by Christ through the apostles to us, and more fully, you know, explained by the church in her teaching and preaching throughout through ecumenical councils and whatnot. These other questions come up, which through the course of time, the authority of the church is going to clarify. That's the idea of the development of doctrine. But on, on to the contrary, there's this idea that, well, well, we'll come to a new understanding of things. And and that'll contradict the old one, but it's a new understanding, and so it's a fuller understanding, and so therefore it's the more valid, which following this really Hegelian synthesis, where it's more like a problem-reaction-solution applied to theology. So Vatican I formally and explicitly condemned that second idea, and it says it, it very clearly that uh, the, the dogmas of faith are to be understood in the sense in which the Church semel declaravit, once declared them. That means at the point in time in which it declared them, and not be reinterpreted or contradicted by in the name of a new understanding. That's Vatican I, that's an ecumenical council, lays that down. But that's virtually what most modern theologians do. And, and the same thing with, uh, so whatever the Pope says has to be right. And and that's well, we've got we've covered this ground, you know, in, 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 so much before. Well, we have, but you know, the whatever audience... the Pope says is not right, and by virtue of the fact he said it, when he teaches, as Vatican One says, by virtue of his office, uh, teaching all Christians on a matter of faith and morals, binding their consciences to believe this thing as de fide, as re- revealed as being of the faith. Then you know they, they will experience, as Pius the Ninth says, spiritual shipwreck by rejecting mm-hmm. those teachings. Um, you know, but on the other hand, if he's just coming in his ordinary teaching office, that does not enjoy the same level of authority or is even per se infallible. It may be if it confirms the whole tradition, like, for example, uh, Costa Canubi and Humani Vitae, these confirm the whole tradition that you find in the church fathers and in the medievals on the question of artificial contraception. Absolutely. It's clear. This is immoral. And it, why, not because the Pope gave a solemn judgment on it, but because the mm-hmm. entire tradition teaches this, and the Popes are now confirming it in the face of modern errors. So, but if the Pope comes out in the airplane, and we, we've gone through all this stuff, but even, let's even look more recently, Traditionis Custodes. So what, you know, we, we've talked about that document, but recently Francis gave an interview to, the, uh, to a Spanish news source, which actually is kind of a humorous interview, because in there he adds up, like, mixing up, he claims uh, a, a quote, that was given by German Prime Minister Angela Merkel it was actually a quote from Putin. And uh, somehow Francis mixed them all up. Maybe he's going senile too, for all we know. I, I have no idea. But he says something, a couple of things interesting. He doubles down on uh, Traditionis Custodius. And in good gaslighting fashion, he declares that he's actually supporting the true spirit of Samorum Pontificum, even though he's contradicting its sense absolutely. Um, but then he has this line in here. There's two lines. So one, he says that. Um, any, any priest in the future will have to get permission from Rome, just like a priest who wants to see the Byzantine right, you know, it's by ritualism now. And the second thing he says it's that, actually it's scandalous, but um, he's talking about changes that have to be made, pastoral care for traditionalists. He says, for example, the proclamation of the word must be in a language that everyone understands. 
Otherwise, it would be the la like laughing at the word of God. So we will go in reverse order. That last thing, I mean, it shows the limits of it, how how completely limited his understanding of liturgy in the Catholic tradition is. He really doesn't get it, um, and is and frankly has shown his malice toward anything that's not what he likes. Right. So you look at the fact that throughout the entire history of the church, um, the, the, the readings have been given in a language that was not necessarily that of the people for the most part. And why? Because, you know, it, it, it's given for the adoration and glory of God. They'll be explained to the people, but the, the, the arrangement of the readings, at least in the Roman liturgy anyway, and in my experience in the uh, Eastern Rite liturgies, it tends to be the same thing as well. The readings are appointed as part of the, the glorification of God and all the other prayers, anathons, what have you, also are given for the glorification of God. So when the pre, I mean, so you look at the fact that in the Old Testament, um, if anyone actually reads the Old Testament still, you find that what happened, Israel and Judah split. There's this whole civil war in the Old Testament, and then Babylon comes in, takes them away, you know, first the Assyrians destroy northern Israel, Babylon destroys Judea, takes them over to Babylon, and they start speaking Aramaic. They lose their own language because of a whole generation or two where they're just speaking Aramaic. And so when they come back, only the scribes and the elders know the biblical Hebrew. So what do they do in the synagogue? They preach in the biblical Hebrew that nobody understands. And then they give the explanation of it. Jesus does this in Luke. He reads in the in the synagogue, and he reads the section of Isaiah that he quotes there directly. He reads it in Hebrew, and the people did not understand it, so he had to read then uh, add it in Aramaic afterward, precisely as we do at the traditional mass, where the readings are chanted in Latin and then read from the pulpit in the vernacular. So after after they've been chanted to God's glory and honor. In, in Latin. And that's the way the Eastern churches used to roll at a certain point. Uh, today, even a lot of the Orthodox, like the Russian Orthodox, I think they do in, in vernacular Russian, but uh, the readings. But it's like, look, you're basically saying Jesus is trying to laugh at the word of God. He is the word of God. But he went through this very practice. And, you know, what what, what is the harm of proclaiming it in the church's language? There isn't. He just doesn't get it. And so, it, and so on and so forth. And we could go on a lot more, but ultimately it's like so much of what Francis does and says um, it just reveals the contempt he has for the tradition. And the only positive thing I can say out of this interview is that the, the quote, the part I quoted first, where he says that it's like a certain bi-ritualism. Well, you'll have to get permission, just like a Byzantine, a Latin priest has to get to say the Byzantine rite. So, and, it, and it's like, is this kind of a silent repudiation of, uh, Samorum Pontificum. I think it is, actually. And which, in certain ways, can be a good thing, because it's always been a problematic thing. It was like a legal solution. But it's not historically or liturgically true that the traditional Mass and the Novus Order are two forms of the same rite. Because all liturgists used to make that distinction based on the offertory. Well, the offertory and the Novus Ordo and the traditional Mass are, are quite at variance. So, you know, that's why traditionally you would not have understood them to do the same right. Similar thing with the Eastern churches. The offertory differs. But anyways, I, I've, I've pontificated long enough. I don't know that I can even bring you in on the next discussion, Ryan, after that. But that was good. <laughs> um, we do have a very important question, though. So speaking of traditionis custodes uh, and right. Pope Francis seemingly contempt for the traditional Latin mass, uh, 
I'm sure many of you know this, but some of you may not, may not that the former Ecclesia Day communities, as they're called, former because Ecclesia Day doesn't exist anymore and they all fall under a different uh, dicastrian Rome, but uh, the leaders, the leadership from the Fraternity of St. Peter, from the Institute of Christ the King, and from uh, about a half dozen or maybe even a dozen other traditionalist orders around the world, all met up in France, in Europe, and they jointly issued a communique. And in the communique, they quoted parts of Vatican II. They quoted Amoris Laetitiae, which is the famous document about which there's still an outstanding dubia of five questions, including a signatory who was at the time recovering from COVID-1984, Cardinal Burke. Now, some of these men... Not the signatories, but the uh, members of the communities were ordained by Cardinal Burke. It's been how many days, guys? 500 days, 1,000 days, 2,000 days since the dubia was issued, and not a word, not a peep from the Vatican. No answer. So the question is, this groveling tone that was struck on this letter. Some people have very, very strong opinions about it. I'm interested to hear the opinions of the three of you, and perhaps even from the live audience. And yourself. But the question, though, I think I'll kick the question over to Steve because I think you're going to lay the best groundwork uh, to keep this discussion from getting out of hand. The question is, do we as lay people, although Brother Martin's a cleric, but do we as Americans sitting on YouTube in the comfort of our homes, in our armchairs, do we have a right to quarterback this letter and critique it and pick it apart and be disappointed by it? Or should we be rightly, righteously indignant about the fact that they are quoting Amoris Letizia, which is a slap in the face to Cardinal Burke? Yeah, I mean, it's easy. Here's a good example. You just go to football games all the time, listen to them. After after the game, we turn on the radio on the way home. And the call-ins, especially after a loss, people complain about, oh, the coach did this. What were they doing at this uh, this third down? Why didn't they pass instead of running? And one of the former players would be on there and asking, all right, what was the, what was the position of the cornerback? What was the position of the D-back? What was going on at this time? What was the wide receiver doing? What was the X route doing? What was this? And they had no clue how to answer any of that. But they knew exactly what they should have done. Monday morning comes around. What do you see on talk on the sports talk shows? All the all the call-ins, they know how to coach better than the coaches that are in there. Every every team, you pick your team, throw a dart. Monday morning, everybody calls in. It's the greatest court, greatest football player ever. Greatest high school player just never made it to the pros. Greatest coach ever. We all got, everyone's got, we look down on them going, hey, they should have done that. You should have done that. None of us were at that. None of us was over there in France. No one, no one was in Rome. No one was with these guys. I know one friend of mine who knows these guys personally, and he said the meetings went well. The latter, uh, they quote our Morris Letizia, probably in the context of, hey, holy father, this is what you said. I don't think they're all saying, you know what? I love Amoris Letizia. Uh, 
guys that condemn them to the fourth realm of hell, who do you want? Want them to nuke themselves? I ain't seen anybody out there planning on nuking themselves. You're going up to your boss tomorrow and saying, I ain't taking a jab. You can fire me tomorrow. Basically, the same thing. I don't see anybody putting a YouTube channel, a YouTube video together saying, ah, you should go out there and take the jab and saying the right, saying the same words, not, not tiptoeing around it, saying what we're saying, what you're to get nuked off the platform. Ain't nobody doing that. But we want other guys to go do that. And for what profit? What good? We're supposed to be cunning. We're supposed to be slick. We're supposed to be sly. These guys know that the Holy Father is not going to live to 198 years old. Survive. Live another day. If someone calls this uh, weak, write a better letter. Send it to Rome. If if there's a cleric out there that thinks, ah, this was weak, you write a letter, send it to Rome, call me and see what happens. If you you get kicked off, then (laughs) what do you do? You go back and put around, get a medal or something? Hey, we'll send you a rundown cookie. Um, there's a, it's too many armchair quarterbacks out there. Chill out. Um, pray harder. We don't know what happened. We don't know the context. We didn't write the letter. These guys aren't morons. They think right. they're trying to know what they're doing. Let's let's trust that these guys are trying to do the best what's good for everyone out there and not try to self-destruct themselves because mm-hmm. we think it's the best idea out there to do. Which we don't. It's the stupidest idea. Question. So, so respond to that, brother Martin, because I, I, I would say if you, if I were playing the devil's advocate, what Steve said, I would say, well, ordained men are given a certain grace to their state in life, and they're supposed to be leaders. You wear the cassock as a reminder of death, and if you start quoting Vatican II and saying the Vatican, you know, and asking for dialogue and quoting a Morris Laetitia. Uh, if you take a groveling tone to a tyrant, I don't know that that's the right strategy. No, nor is it going to be an effective way to galvanize the people that you're charged to lead. So that, again, I'm, that's what that's what the devil's advocate would say. I don't know what you're going to say, but respond to what Steve said. It looks like we lost Brother Martin in a pivotal moment. <laughs> well, I'll, until we get him back, I don't see a graveling. Is the dubia graveling? The dubia is different from this, though. I mean, but it's I, I have a, a, we're begging for. Is brother back? Actually, have brother go before I is. I just wanted a big rant, so if brother's back, let him go before I go. But. Yeah, we. I, I'm. I'm using the bathroom when you go. Right? No, I'm just kidding. But. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if you I don't know dry. if you heard the last part of Steve's question, Brother Martin, or my question, but my question was if you could respond to Steve with respect to the fact that, you know, ordination grants a certain grace to the, your state in life uh-huh. and that there's an expectation mm-hmm. of firm leadership and that you have to set the example for the people that you're charged to lead, uh, et cetera. Right. So whether or not so he's Steve is saying we don't have the facts, we don't have the information. I think that's a very valid point. These guys aren't stupid. No, of course they're not. Um, who are we to to second guess it? Well, I think we're I think we're not nobody. Um, what do you think? So three things I want to address. One, first, Steve, the rundown cookie. Which one of y'all's wives is baking the cookies? Because I don't have a wife, so it's got to be one of your guys' wives to handle the rundown cookie. Got to be Ryan's because mine is a baker. 
My daughter. <laughs> I love bacon. The rundown cookie. <laughs> okay, sorry. I was Mike when you were saying talking the whole time. I was run, <laughs> holding back my laughter. Well, you get the food network. They can make like us on the cookie. I mean, I'm sure somebody can pull I, it you off. You know what? If people want to send cookies to the rundown, I might be willing to publish my address. I might be. You would you would be surprised how far RTF Mike would go for a cookie. No, but but but, but really, brother Bart, I I don't know what you're going to say, and I don't know if you're going to disagree with Steve or how strongly. And then we're going to turn it over to Ryan, and then uh, we'll, we'll keep going around until everyone's exhausted from this. But this really is the top story of the week. The people that we thought were going to defend us, seemingly, seemingly, in one point of view, in one interpretation of the words on the page with mm-hmm. no special knowledge about what happened behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Seemingly we were betrayed brother Martin. So, so, so two things, two things. Um, one is, is precisely the community and, and, and the strategy they used. Um, uh, let's address that first. I didn't expect really anything different. In the sense that it's not uncommon for those that are priests, that are bishops, to try to use the words of the Pope or the youth or the words of ecclesiastical documents to defend their positions, regardless of how heretical they are um, or what, how they think heretical they are. It's, it's just the modus operandi of those who hold ecclesiastical status. So you try to use people's words against them. As the common saying goes, uh, uh, giving you a taste of your own medicine. However, we know how useless this is because the author of those words are those who hold the interpretation, the authentic interpretation. So if Pope Francis is writing words, he's meaning those words to be interpreted in a particular sense. And if you're giving them back to him, the different sense... He's not going to be convinced by them because he holds the authentic interpretation of them. And so really the communique, um, in quoting a mortis Otizie, in quoting Vatican II, was utterly useless. It was like, it's like shooting arrows at a bulletproof vest. They just, they just bounce off and that's the end of the story. There, there's nothing that happens there. However, this letter wasn't addressed necessarily to the Vatican. It was addressed to the bishops in France. And yesterday we just saw, or today, we just saw that the Archbishop of Paris, out of 15 Latin masses, deleted 10 of them. He kept only five. So there you go. You see the consequences of the communique, how ineffective their strategy is. And ultimately, if you want to take their, their, their small target of France and use it to to see what will happen to if they were to address that communique to Rome, you will see how ineffective that strategy is. Uh, and so I completely disagree with the strategy of those superiors that met to address the communique in France. Sure, it may have shown their goodwill, but they don't understand that they're dealing with ideologues, and the ideologues don't care about goodwill. They don't, they don't care about canon law. For instance, one community I belong to me and another priest were, were oppressed, in a sense pushed out, 
because we, we like the TLM, the traditional Latin mass. And this was while Simona Pontificum was law. It was law. Law. Can I say law again louder? Law. I'm going to do this close-up thing again until I drive my point. We on. need a slow motion capture. Because this is, anyway. this, this is what, I, what I constantly, this is, this is the constant thing that I find that, that laity and other people don't understand. Because Lady constantly pushes it. Well, Brother Martin, it's a law. And I'm just like, law? The Vatican, they don't care about law. They care about their ideolo- the ideology. And they'll push their ideology and cite law because they know you care about law. Not because they care about law. They know you care about law. They know your frame of mind. They know the way you think. But they don't care about a double standard. For instance, we see this in, in I mean, uh, Joe Biden and his government. I mean, they're 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 more uh, in your face about it than, than the Vatican is. But they don't really care about understand double standards. They don't care about being called out as hypocrites because, in in the sense, if they're called out as hypocrites, if anybody proves, you know, Pope Francis covered up a sexual abuse crisis, who's going to kick him out? Nobody. And so they just, you know, it's it's water off their back, nothing else. And that and that's what we're dealing with, and that's what our frustration is. But the but people but laity who keep saying law 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 li- listen we're dealing with a regime that doesn't care about law. Yeah, I and the, I just had to reality. jump in. I want to read you a text message I got from a priest today. Actually, it says, "Quote: I love how bishops, theologians, and priests have for years ignored humana vitae and never treated his teachings with respect or infallibility by ordinary magisterium. All now act." as if the decree dignitanis personae of the CDF is absolutely infallible and gospel. What a crock of you-know-what. So it, it, they're selective. You're right. There's a good point. They're selective about what is law and what is just, eh, well, it's humanae vitae. It's the 60s. You know, you can forget about that. But there's other things in the 60s that we really do care about. Sorry, go ahead. Another thing about grace of office, for, for instance, if someone is ordained irregularly, like a systematic or whatever from a systematic bishop, they're still ordained. It's still a valid sacrament. So does one still argue that they have the grace of office to still proclaim the truth? And so that's another question I would ask for those who who say, you know, we should just listen to the priest because they have grace of office, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as we know, like Father Thomas Reese, SJ, just just published that he he denies uh, everything that Aristotle teaches about metaphysics. For instance, he just he just you know wrote this in an article. Um, do we accept that he still has grace of office, while someone from the SSPX, so the Old Roman Catholic, who sticks firmly to the traditional teachings of the Catholic faith, um, and will teach that to their parishioners and to teach uh, or proclaim that from the internet? Do we do we say that they don't have the grace of office? I mean, are we going to be so so strict on these measures um, to the point that we? have to acquiesce to those who, who contradict the Catholic faith and, and appear aggressive against those who are in the situation that they're in simply because they wanted to find a way to live the traditional Catholic faith. It doesn't make sense to me. We, we cannot be rigid. We cannot be rigid um, in, in mere human ecclesiastical law in these extreme, extraordinary circumstances. Um, but we have to know the traditional Catholic faith. We have to know the traditional cath- uh, catechisms uh, to discern 
who to listen to, who not to listen to. Unfortunately, that's 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 our our met our the ball is in our court. Um, but yeah, that's what I have to say about the grace of office. And okay, so and, so bottom line, brother Martin, uh, you are extrapolating from the from the the microcosm of France that the letter was ineffective, and that proves the point that weakness in the face of uh, an ideological enemy is not the right strategy. Is that kind of your point? Exactly. No, in one sense, they were they were regarding they were they were speaking to the bishops of France, and the bishops of, of France are weak. How do we know this? Statistics that have come out that there are more ordinations for traditional communities in France than there are for dioceses. That 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 pure and simple. That proves that the bishops in France are weak. They're 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 anti-tradition, and and, and they're not going to ordain. Diocesan seminarians that like the traditional Latin Mass, they have to go to the Institute of the Good Pastor, the Institute of the King, the Fraternity of St. Peter, the, uh, the Dominicans, uh, St. Vincent Ferrar, et cetera, et cetera. Those, they're, they're receiving more the majority of the ordinations, the SSPX even, uh, than, than the diocese of France. And so we know that, that France is lost. That in, the, in the diocese of France, France is lost. We know that. Um, so it's, it's not unbelievable to see the reaction of the Archbishop of Paris uh, deleting 10 out of 15 traditional Latin masses in his archdiocese. I would almost, I would almost take that point of view, though, that uh, given the fact that there's per capita, let's say, there's the highest concentration of tradition in France of anywhere in the world. We think we have it good here in the United States, and in many ways we do. But per capita, there are more trads in France. They have us beat uh, hands down. Uh, I would think I would interpret that data as maybe an outlier. Then, the fact that the bishops in France are are uh, panicking and trying to suppress the mass in a more overt way, and uh, that this communique became necessary in this entire situation, I would almost throw it out and and maybe not include as a data point from which we can inductively reason what might happen around the world if this particular situation happens with Rome. Ryan, um, I'm not asking you to respond to that necessarily, but just the overall situation. I guess I chart somewhere of a middle road between Steve and brother in as much as on the one hand, I see what the uh, the fraternity and the institute and the Institute of Bonfosten and whatever else you're going to whatever other group is a party to the letter. I see what they're trying to do. I've done that before when you're arguing with somebody who's very progressive, liberal. They don't care that this was decreed in Trent, even though that should settle the matter. They don't care this was decreed in this council or whatever this is taught in this way. So you just, all right, well, here it is in Vatican II, which teaches the same thing that the whole tradition taught on that point. Oh, okay. And then, and then, and then it's, it's a point they can't ignore, basically. Or likewise, conversely, if you're arguing with, with a set of acantists. Uh, it would be absolutely worthless to quote to him anything Vatican II and after because he's not going to accept it as valid or useful. So you're going to go and quote, you know, all, all your pre-Vatican II stuff because that's the only thing they're going to pay attention to by by necessity, by logical necessity of their position. So the same thing, I guess, either, it's the same tact the fraternity and, and the institute, et cetera, are trying to take here. And it, it seems to me in as much as which... I get it. I understand where they're going, but the problem is it doesn't matter. Look at the the source who you're talking to, 
And so, and I think the whole, it really, my view of the document itself is summed up by um, about midway through the document, or actually, yeah, about midway through, close to the end, um, as it is found on Raticelli. There's a line where it's emphasized the scriptural passage, have patience with me from Matthew 18:29. So I said, all right, well, let's, I'm pretty sure this doesn't sound very good. So the, the quote from the document itself says, Pope Francis encourages the church's pastors to listen to them with sensitivity and serenity, with a sincere desire to understand their plight and their point of view and to recognize their proper place in the church, etc. from Amoris Laetitia 3.12. And so then the document adds, we are eager to entrust the tragedies we are living to a father's heart. We need listening and goodwill, not condemnation without prior dialogue. The harsh judgment creates a feeling of injustice, etc. Then it continues, and then it closes with that line from Matthew 18.29, have patience with me. So let's open up to Matthew 18.29, um, you know, what happens there. And it's, of course, the parable of the unjust steward. And it says, in falling on his face... He begged him, that is the steward, the, this, this person that owed the steward money, he begged him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay all things to you. But in then verse 30, which they neglect to quote in the document, but he refused. Rather, he went away and threw him into prison until he would pay the last penny. So I, I think of that in this kind of quote of have patience with me. What they're actually going to get is what follows in the, in the next verse, is that he'll drag them and throw them into prison, hence jailers of the tradition, right? But, um, you know, it's kind of like this using of quotes out of context. If you follow the context of the scripture, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody around the Holy Father wouldn't say, well, hey, hey have patience with me. What happens next? He doesn't. So we shouldn't either. You know, and I don't know, but I think it's more of a prophecy of what will happen by saying, hey, have patience with me. Uh, they're going to be thrown into, into prison. And uh, until, you know, the just, you know, the, the, the master will hear about it and, and fix the injustice at some point, whenever. And, and that's the reality that this is a plea that's going to fall on deaf ears. Better, in my opinion, frankly, to declare the beauty of the tradition, the glory of the tradition, the binding nature of the tradition, citing, you know, the, 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 the councils like Vatican I, which I quoted earlier, and other things. I think that would, like so many things, instead of trying this tack, which, which works with facile minds, but the Holy Father's not stupid, whatever else we might say about him. And, you know, he's, he's very clever, and he, he knows very much what he's about. And as we've said before, about canceling, ratioing, whatever it is, the tradition. So an appeal like this, again, it, it, I, I agree with Brother Martin, it's going to fall on deaf ears. They might have intended, well, it, it, hey, let's th throw his words back at him. You know, it's a sensible strategy, but it's not going to work because he doesn't care. They'll, he, his words only matter in the way he means them, not the way you mean them. Right. And it's going to end up, the whole endeavor will end up just like the steward mm -hmm. uh, says, you know, the, 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 the guy who owed the steward money, hey, have patience with me. No, no. We're going to throw you in jail. Right. Hence, you have the, the custodes traditionis to, to, to guard the prison where, where you're in. Yeah. I, I had thought about taking a really strong position on, on this, and, and I, really, I really am just not going to do that right now. But what I will say is that I, I'm just going to repeat something that I've said on prior rundowns that everyone here has agreed with. This is a time of clarification. This is a time uh, in which we really, the, although the masks are coming back on, apparently, 
in a way, the masks are coming off. And you're starting to see who's who. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, when a structure is stressed, you, start, you, you, you really start to know the integrity of the structure and the components of the structure. Um, and it's called trial by fire. And people are lining up on whatever side they're going to line up on. You're either pro-COVID or you know, the COVID religion and the jab and the lockdowns, or you're not. You're, or, you know, you, you, either, you either supposedly trust the science, et cetera, or you trust the real science. Um, you either live in the fantasy land that the communists have set up where they inundate you with false information, or you live in objective reality. And there's only two alternatives. It's either truth or error. And, um, and so I do think that this will be a time where every single individual father figure, be he an ordained priest who is a spiritual father, or the father of his family is going to have to make tough decisions. And what I would recommend that everyone do is pray for the grace to make the right decision. But I do think that a lot of people are going to wake up to the reality of the situation, but a lot more people won't. A lot of people will choose willingly not to wake up. A lot of people will cling to comfort instead of truth. That's always been the case. We saw it. If COVID taught us nothing, it taught us that the sheep will be sheep. It taught us that they will obey their masters. And um, you know what? From my point of view, I'm only responsible for my family, and that's okay. If the people across the street from me, yes, I pray for them. Yes, I want them to do better. But if they want to cling to comfort, modern, modernity, modernism itself, and the Novus Ordo, uh, when the going gets tough, then that's their choice to make. And um, at the end of the day, what all I can say is that, for as for me and my family, we will cling to antiquity, no matter what. Um, let's get to the grifter segment we have to do the grifter segment oh wait which one do we do first grifter or unpopular we usually do oh let's do the unpops it's time for the unpops steve cunningham go (laughs) mike's been away for a while uh (laughs) since we didn't cover it i'm shocked we didn't touch it uh my body my choice texas uh, you see the insanity going on. What did we say? I said long ago, it's not a popular thing at all. If you think that your way of getting it out, getting abortion out, is going through the federal government, that's past the hookah pipe. Just saying it forever. You want to end it? State level. Show Finally, somebody did it. And Wisconsin's finally starting to have a March for Life in Wisconsin. Forget D.C., the March for Life's a doggone, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, where you get to the, when you go to school, you get a field trip. It's a field trip. People are taking <laughs> photos, taking photos with the Lincoln Memorial. We we're all here. There's only one section there. It was Father Isaac Marie that had a, had a thing to mention. I will never go to uh, March for Life again because too many people are having fun up there at that. And I'm all for having fun. If you can't figure it out, I like laughing. That's not the place to say, you know what? Let's go to March for Life. It's going to be a fun old time. We doggy. Um, you want to end it? Texas. You see what other states did or doing. They're going to do copycat league like the NFL. You see something win, you copycat that. You incorporate it in where you're at. 
other states will do that. Hopefully, again, this will make, you know, maybe the left will want to secede from us. <laughs> go for it. I would love to see California, Oregon, and Washington go bye-bye. Bye-bye, Pelosi. Uh, I'd like to see the Northeast go bye-bye. <laughs> bye-bye, D.C., bye-bye, Biden. Um, so, yeah, my body, my choice. It's uh, uh, for the jab. It's okay to say it for uh, killing kids, but it's somehow not okay to say it for taking an experimental injection that's literally going into your body, whereas the other one's actually killing another body. But, yes, federal level, anything. If you think that government by judiciary is the way to go, I don't know what else. You, we, you guys, we've seen it. Everyone clams on AOC. She's state level. She like she was okay with the lockdown at the state level. She was okay at with Indiana with uh, pushing out the Indiana University thing at the state level. None of that's federal. None, we all, even us, we saw some of us in our the best of us will think ah the the SCOTUS has got to make all the decisions. No matter if it's for the left or for the right, still government by judiciary, state level federalism. You gotta it's got to be practiced if you even want to shimmer of this union to exist, which I hope it doesn't, you got to stick with federalism and that's going to be the only ticket out of any of this. Politically. Ryan Grant. Okay. My unpopular opinion, um, although I'm not sure how unpopular it is around here, is that Idaho should completely secede from the union, but it shouldn't just secede <laughs> as itself. It should secede by taking all of Washington west of the Cascades, although I'm still not sure about the wisdom of having Spokane in there, but uh, either way. Um, and also, all those counties that want to join Idaho, let's take them up too, which would just basically Oregon, uh, Portland and Eugene would be all that's left of Oregon. The rest would be the greater Idaho um, area, uh, you know, country will secede and make our own country. And if we were to do that, we we could establish our own state bank to issue our own currency, and then our own natural resources, which are far more than potatoes. Even a lot of people think potatoes, but between logging and uh, precious metals, natural gas, so many things that are found in Idaho, uh, we would be an economic powerhouse uh, bigger than a European country, and with a lot of territory that uh, even beyond what we already have now. And so that that such a thing we would just prosper more and more if we seceded altogether, cut the cut the ties from D.C. and made the greater Idaho corridor. And, and by taking half of uh, Oregon, we'd even get a little port city in there, too. So we'd have uh, maritime tr you know, trade coming in and out. So it's a win win uh, altogether. And so Idaho should secede now. It won't happen, but hey. That's, that's what should happen. <laughs> All right. Uh, Brother Martin. Well, first, Brian gets three bishops that are all anti-TLM, but anyway. <laughs> well, 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 as a country, we could work in the Vatican to get them replaced. <laughs> My unpopular opinion is now, now, today, September 10th, is a time to downsize. It's it's time to recognize that the, the federal government is after you, is after your profession, is after your job, is after your livelihood. Um, it's time to 
really start to plan and take action in preparing uh, to not have any income at all. Because you're not going to be if if you're a one income family with with a husband earning earning all of the the bacon so to speak, um, and he's forced to take the jab, um, and and his conscience re- refuses to do so. You need to right now, September tenth, twenty twenty one, to start making preparations uh, of how your family is going to respond afterwards. Um. So my unpopular opinion is, is precisely that. America has promised us a lot of comfort, the American dream, so to speak, where you can have a lot of interior possessions, comfort, um, and all that kind of stuff. But we weren't made for comfort. Um, ultimately, this life is, is, is a test in order to prove us whether or not we're, we're worthy of heaven or not, whether, you know, whether or not we're we're willing to accept God's grace in our life to, to, to transform us into what he created us to be, or whether we want, we want to do something completely on our own and, and rather choose hell instead of heaven. Um, and so know that if, if, you're, if you're willing to accept the consequences of your decision and to be faithful to the truth, though it might be uncomfortable right now in, in temporal life, um, there's a crown waiting for you in heaven. So don't be afraid to make drastic changes in your life, in your family's life. Uh, someone was telling me that it's not unpopular, it's true. But to be honest, I mean, when, especially, I mean, poverty, people think poverty means destitution. It doesn't mean destitution. It doesn't mean living like St. Teresa of Calcutta. It means basically, uh, well, in a religious sense, it means not owning anything on your own. Um, but for a layperson says it means accepting div- divine providence in your life, knowing that you're not going to be able to live in a in a, in a million dollar mansion, you know, for your whole life. But that is what Americans think. Americans always think that they, they have the the opportunity to to live in a a million dollar mansion. That that's not that's that's not our goal as as Catholics is to is to live in the most expensive house that we can, the most beautiful house that we can, the most spacious house that we can. It means living in the house that is conducive to getting our spouses and our children to heaven. Um, and so now more than ever, do we need to start really thinking, you know, look around yourself right now as you're watching the rundown, whether or not this space that you're living in is conducive to getting your spouse and your children to heaven. Um, because the government is going to go after you. They're going to go after your, your livelihood. They're going to ask, well, if you have a mortgage right now, you might not be able to fulfill that. And so you might be able you might have to downsize because of, because of, uh, of you being consistent with Catholic moral teaching. Um, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This isn't about societal status. Again, status is a big word. Status is also a big concern regarding everybody. Of course, everybody goes to those Catholic business clubs, you know, giving their status business cards, all that kind of stuff, saying, you know, oh, I'm this guy. I'm, I'm up this high or I'm up that high. You know, throw those business cards in the trash. It's not about status anymore guys it's really about being faithful to to, to the catholic faith um and, and so don't be afraid to downsize don't be afraid um to be poor don't be afraid to have nothing don't be afraid to scrap by divine providence will provide so my popular opinion is is do not be afraid is is, is don't be afraid to give everything to give all because god is not out outdone in, 
in his generosity. Um, I would, I've lived this in my life. I've seen this in my life and in my whole story. Um, so that's all I can say is do not be afraid. My unpopular, uh, my unpopular opinions, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to downsize. Do not be afraid to take the hit. Do not be afraid to be poor. Do not be afraid uh, to suffer the consequences of, of, of living the truth. Hard act to follow, uh, no doubt. My unpopular opinion this week is in the wake of the illegal mandates that fake Catholic usurper-in-chief Trader Joe has given us, I think the blame lays squarely and unequivocally at the feet of the USCCB. Why do I say that? So goes the church, so goes the world. We have the, the largest recognizable, organized, hierarchical denomination in these United States. If we had our princes of the church, if our bishops had stood strong, if they had opposed this COVID nightmare from the beginning, or even midway through, or even just a month ago, the truth, would, the tr- the truth is, is that the federal government would not be able to withstand the pressure of a united Catholic church against their ideology. But the fact of the matter is, is that these grinder miters were bought off by three or four billion dollars by the Trump administration. They continue to placate the federal government in hopes of continued federal grants, money, spending, and yes, bailouts. And uh, as a result of that, because many of the bishops in these United States are nothing more than rearranging the deck chairs on a sinking Titanic. They're administrators. They're not leaders. They're not men. Uh, Because of that fact, they capitulated, and they are mostly to blame, therefore, for the hell that we're about to be living through. But as Steve says, we get the leaders we deserve. And so as much as, as, and as easy it is, as it is to point to our bishops and the spinelessness, the fecklessness, the weakness of our bishops, they are who we deserve. So ultimately we are to blame, and that is my unpopular opinion for the week. Okay, guys. It's time to grift. I've already grifted. I, I, grifted, I grifted my saint maker which I keep here with me. And I can't wait to get the next one, actually, to show you because they're awesome. And it makes a good blunt object, too. It's a, it's a uh, weapon of opportunity, actually. I saw this in a Jason Bourne movie. There's a way, there's a way to use these uh, in a lethal way if you needed to. What are we grifting this week, Steve? Uh, well, I get the St. Augustine Press. Give them a little shout-out, the... The guy, you guys noticed, remember the Green Landmass book? Well, they make other books. So these kids, and one of these ones you could bite, not going to break anything cardboard style. But uh, it just has little Bible stu- Bible stories in there, good little drawings, good writings. This has been through about, for us, uh, eight masses so far on Sunday, not including weekdays. So they stand the test of time. You see some chew marks on the corners. Uh not too bad. 
maybe Miss C, I, had, I, I sent her the link if you want to put it up there. I can't, for some reason, put the link up or anywhere. But uh, cool little books. Check it out. It's New Testament stories, Old Testament, and it just depends on which one you get. Like uh, These are more on Abraham, Noah, Moses. Noah's on another one. My... Uh, <laughs> One of them likes there was a lion on one, and they go there. Here it is. My Stephen loves this one because it's got a lion on the front. Uh, but yeah, these are cool. Uh, check them out. Something for the kids for mass, uh, for the little ones, so they don't have to, you know, maybe look at cute little photos, paintings during mass, or whatever. Just keep them sitting down. I gotta, oh, if any businesses are out there, uh, want us to help out, especially well, us, uh, definitely me. Uh, Contact me, Steve at sensefidelian.us. We'll, I'll talk you through some ideas that we can do. I've had quite a few businesses contact me over the last week. Uh, you see it up on the YouTube channel, even like the Fathead. Uh, if you're familiar with sports Fatheads, there's a guy who made a Catholic version of it. He's a coach down in Ave Marie. He's moving up to Indiana. I'll have uh, some samples uh, next week for you. But that's pretty cool, too. But, yeah, anything to help out the small businesses out there, hit us up. We'll uh, take care of you. We'll try to promote you. Ryan Grant, grifting. Okay, grifting. Well, um, I've been talking and talking about it for two months now. Uh, Next Friday, when we are on, will be the 400th anniversary of St. Robert Bellarmine's death, the very day. So Steve and I will be on that day with a resistance podcast. Um and hopefully there'll be some other goodies that we'll have coming out, um, <clears throat> looking at doing a whole life of Bellarmine, um, you know, just trying to make the, all of that work, which will basically be like a podcast version of the autobiography that I'm writing. Um, and so the, uh, the next thing is in, uh, on the 8th of October, I will be in Dallas. If you put up the thank you, Mike, and I will be giving a talk on the life and work of St. Robert Bellarmine Four talks. Um, you'll need lots of alcohol to get through listening to me for four hours, but um, <laughs> actually one hour on Friday night. So we give you a little break. And then uh, Saturday, I have three talks. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but um, I can stand there talking for as long as they're willing to have me standing up there uh, making a fool of myself, continuing to talk. And the other thing is, you saw me pull this out earlier. Um, uh, we don't need the image th- anymore for the flyer. Um, anyway, so you saw me pull up this New Testament earlier uh, when I was quoting. Um, in here, I have a bookmark, and so a nice bookmark for St. Robert Bellarmine, which I made. And I'm so impressed with them that I will make a whole lot more referencing other books that we have. So, But in the meantime, I've got hundreds of these. These will go out with every book order that we do henceforth for for a while. Um, what books are we grifting this month? And I had to stop and think, which ones have we not talked about before? So did you know there's a real sword in the stone? Actually, there is one. And it has nothing to do with Disney or King Arthur or anything else. It's in Italy, and it has to do with a saint who didn't think he was worthy enough, St. Galgano. Um, there you go. He got his little... Nice medieval image there. And uh, this is actually the sword on the cover. It's really there. And uh, he didn't think he could be forgiven for his sins. He was a knight who lived a bad life. Uh, 
And so he said, well, if God can forgive my sins, why this knife will just go right through this boulder. And it did. It got stuck there and it became his own personal crucifix. And so this is the story of this 11th century saint that uh, St. Galgano, that, uh, you know, the real story of the sword in the stone that eventually becomes uh, incorporated into Arthurian legend and later a uh, B-rated Disney movie. Otherwise, the Holy Mass. Um, so this is a book um, on the Mass uh, by Herbert Lucas, who was a Jesuit. And the, the value of this particular book, so he, he does in a, a simpler fashion than Fortescue and others a description of the Mass. But he also takes issue with certain uh, things. A lot of people think Fortescue is this traditional author. Fortescue was actually a proto-modernist. A lot of people don't realize that. And had he lived until the 60s, he would have been crazy messing around with liturgy left and right. And he tells us so. In his, own, in his own works, he makes references to like, well, this should be changed and this should be changed. and Well, this should be changed. I don't know why this is here. We, we should change this. But the Vatican won't listen to us. We just don't know why. Right. Um, so so this fellow, another Jesuit, Herbert Lucas, takes issue with Fortescue in a number of places. And uh, some of the stuff that he writes here has been borne out today. It's a really nice book, argues for the canon as a unique, unified work, not as a hodgepodge the way that modern liturgists tend to argue it for. So it's a good book for that, good history. Highly recommend. I've got both books in the Mediatrix Express store. Um, and uh, next week I'll be able to grift a couple new ones that didn't show up in time. So we'll wait for that. Brother Martin. We're getting a lot of comments in the live chat. You have a different background. People want to know what's up. Is this going to be the week that you actually disclose something to us? Or are you going to keep us all in a holding pattern? Well, actually, if I can, I want to give two things. One, uh, because there's been a lot of back and forth over Catholic Twitter, Catholic social media, um, between old guard and new guard, trad, all that kind of stuff. I just want to reemphasize the fact that on, on the rundown we all like all four of us we all agree on the solution the solution is holiness through the traditional catholic faith and because we all believe that pursuing a life of holiness through prayer through sacrifice through the catechism and the council of Trent, etc etc we're all able to respect respectfully disagree on certain topics but because we all believe in the same exact thing we all uh, start as friends, we all disagree as friends, and we all end as friends and good friends, so that even after every single rundown, we all joke and laugh and pursue holiness together, you know, as friends. Stop it, I don't like Mike. <laughs> Nobody likes Mike. Nobody likes Mike. The three of you can tweet the most obnoxious things in the world, and I like the tweet, and all of a sudden people are coming after me. Nobody likes Mike. Sorry, go ahead, brother. But, listen, listen, I'm just talking about those four. I'm not talking about backwards feet or whatever else, anybody else, because that's, that's, the, that's the reality. You know, there's people on social media that hate any of the four of us, or, you know, Regardless of the four of us, one hates another, et cetera, et cetera, because of a tweet or because of a position that they release on a YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's that's not just that's just not Catholic, you know. We can respectfully disagree on 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 topics that we can respectfully disagree on, but if we agree that the that the solution of all this crisis and is in holiness is in dedicating more of our lives to prayer and to sacrifice and to living our state of life. Listen, that's where we all become friends. That's when we that's that's really the, the foundation 
of our friendship. And so that's, that's what I want to continually grift on. First of all, on the rundown for is that I think we've all continually over the over the you know the year and a half that we've we've done this this podcast that we've held true for is is that we've we can come together on that solution yet at the same time disagree on different topics the community and whatever else you know um, and remain friends after uh, you know and good, and good friends after so that, that's the first thing I want to grift on as a rundown. The second, the second thing I want to grip down is, is my background. We've no, we've moved into a new place. Um, however, ecclesiastical protocol is the ecclesiastical protocol, so I can't necessarily announce where I am, um, et cetera, et cetera, which is hard because I I, I can't even, uh, you know, well, anyways, I can't announce exactly where I am. However, um, what I can announce is that the the mission is going forward very well, and we will soon need to find a solution to funding a new, beautiful, worthy chapel in which our Lord can be reserved in perpetually. Our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament can be reserved in perpetually um, because we can't just have him in just some makeshift square box made out of wood. Uh, he needs to be in something beautiful because he's our Lord. Um, so stay, stay tuned for that. Um, stay tuned for more vocations being um, called to the Oblates of St. Augustine because I, I still got all those emails to respond to more and more day after day. I get I get emails from, from young men wanting wanting to inquire about vocations to the Oblates of St. Augustine. Uh, and so I'm, you know... <laughs> I'm lagging behind on, on trying to respond to all of them, but I'm, I'm responding to all of them and, and, and trying to schedule times to meet them, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, I'm, I'm, one, I'm one guy starting this community um, with Father John and the novice as well. So I'm, I'm trying to juggle everything uh, and balance everything as well. Um, so I hope that if you're, if you're emailing me, I hope you have patience with me. Um, sending mass stipends, et cetera, I hope you have patience with me because um, literally everything falls on one guy at the very beginning. Um, but more and more, as, as as more guys take vows, et cetera, et cetera, the 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 work will be dispersed, um, and you'll and you'll begin to see this this community, this traditional Latin mass community, function as, as one should. Um, we're set to evangelize the the community that we're in, um, to spread the traditional Catholic faith over the internet and everything else. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to, well, we're not going to write any communique. Uh, quoting Amoris Hitia, that's for sure. Um, at least I'm not. But we, what we are is, is going to quote the Catechism of the Council of Trent. We're, we're going to give you the truth, and if anybody hates us for that, then so be it. I don't care. Um, and that's that. So that's what I'm going to grifting. I'm grifting the truth. I'm grifting our friendship at, on the rundown. Um, and that's it. That's, that's what we stand for. That's so wholesome and sweet. I don't even think you know what the word grift means, Brother Martin. <laughs> I was going to try to end the show on a joke, but you're all like, oh, Hallmark. All right, thanks for watching.